0: Okay, buddy, uh... I was just trying to cheer us up, so go ahead. Put on some old sad bastard music, see if I care. I don't want to hear old sad bastard music, Barry. I
1: just want something I can ignore.
2: the movie podcast and the nerds who haunted themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I love movies, which is lucky because each episode I'm drawn by a guest to talk about a movie they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping by for this episode, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoy the film talk and, as always, and if you feel like doing so... You can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Am I Not group on Facebook, or wherever you see this episode posted. As this episode is coming out on my birthday, well hello Mr. Fancy Pants, I'm handing hosting duties over to That Comic Smells, Tom Stewart, as we switch roles with me joining him as the guest to discuss one of my all time top 5 favourite movies, the 2000 John Cusack starring Nick Hornby adaptation, High Fidelity. And now with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer.
1: My store is called Championship Final! <laughs> Turn it off! He won't go any louder! Sure. I can't fire them. I hired these guys for three days a week, and they just started showing up every day. That was four years ago. Rob Gordon has a successful business and a dedicated following. I used to go to the double door to hear you spin. You were unbelievable. But when it comes to dating... Hi. Hi. This Is Penny Hardwood? Hi, Caroline. He's still searching...
0: Are you in a rat, Rob?
1: I'm sorry? Are you in a rat, Rob? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. For the right woman...
2: What's your name? Laura!
1: Now, his search may have ended, (laughs) but his problems just started.
2: I like you with Laura. I don't think much of this Ian
3: guy.
1: What? Ian guy! You gotta be kidding me. Touchdown Pictures presents...
0: How's Ian? He's growing on me. He looks like he could grow on something.
1: John Cusack, Jack Black, Lisa Bonet, Joan Cusack, Eben Yala, Tim Robbins, Lily Taylor, and Catherine Zeta Jones. Based on the international best-selling novel.
3: Are you gonna line that flower bed all night?
1: no
0: high fidelity i'm looking for a record for my daughter i just called to say i love you do we look like the kind of store that sells i just called to say i love you go to the mall what's your problem do you even know your daughter there's no way she likes that song oh, oh, oh. is she in a coma
2: hey sure how are you doing hello tom how are you <laughs> thanks for having me on this podcast
4: Oh, it's 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 my pleasure, considering it's uh, it's now my podcast. I will take it in perpetuity. I own all trademarks.
2: <laughs> L- long-time it. listener, first-time caller, and all that. <laughs> 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 How's things? You alright? Yeah, yeah, taking on you.
4: Yeah, not too bad. So-so. The, the, uh, the myers of life haven't quite chipped me away just
2: yet. <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Staring into the abyss, but not falling into it.
4: <laughs> exactly. Uh, just, uh, just here, um, getting through everything and uh, listing some top fives. You know, staying uh, top fives. Yeah, st- staying on topic and staying on brand <laughs> at all places. <laughs> <Awesome>.
2: <laughs> and asking the big questions, like "What fucking Ian guy?" <laughs>
4: <laughs> I love that. Like. <laughs> i love that pascal to get in that ian guy (laughs) (laughs) that was amazing it it was gonna be all-time
2: top five but it wouldn't fit so (laughs) it's it's gotta be that ian guy then yeah exactly
4: (laughs) that was amazing right i'm gonna do this as clunkily as possible yeah we're gonna mire along with this and everybody at home is just gonna settle in for the ride because i've hijacked it now and that's it <laughs> you know it you know that uh, the tcs at that comic smell we don't do anything structured so uh, <laughs> this is in this is interesting for me like <laughs>
2: i should have brought back a bag of crisps
4: <laughs> i did consider it for it for a brief second i was like i'm gonna bring a jug of water and just pour it right by the mic <laughs> But we don't want any more toilet breaks going on. No, uh, no. <laughs> I am
2: a man in his 40s now. It's just not wise to mess around with that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm
4: probably, I'm getting to the age now where I'm probably due a prostate check at some point. anyway. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so probably not not best uh, daredevil in it out. Like. <laughs> 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 but speaking of um, men in their 30s, we are uh, here today, um, you and I, to talk about uh, 2000's High Fidelity directed by Stephen Frears, written by as we just discussed DV oh my god (laughs) we just said it and I can't even get it Uh, Steve Pink and John Cusack and Scott Rosenberg who ended up in a
2: dispute to get that right um... yeah, John Cusack told her Little thing about that on stage,
4: but... all <laughs>
2: uh,
4: right. Oh, it's basically, sparkle. Cool. <laughs> oh nice. Um, based on the novel by Nick Hornby, uh, starring John Cusack, Jack Black, Lisa Bonet, Joel Carter, Joan Cusack, Sarah Gilbert, or Sarah Gilbert, uh, even EJ,
2: <laughs>
4: God, I'm just not good. Sorry, white white man in this 30s, not good with... That's right, I had to look name. it
2: up, and I'm assuming the internet didn't lie to me that it's E. Ben Yaley. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Todd Luizzo? Yeah. Um, Lily Taylor, Natasha Gregson-Wagner, and with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Tim Robbins, who is amazing, my ad, Tim, Tim Robbins. It was released in cinemas... First of March, two thousand in the US and twenty first of July, uh, two thousand in the UK, grossed forty seven million one hundred twenty six thousand two hundred ninety six worldwide, and an estimated budget of thirty million according to IMDb. Uh, well, not too bad. Back I, when they
2: made thirty million film
4: dollars. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, um, <laughs> I wish they would do more of that now. Roger Ebert uh, gave the film four stars out of four saying the film looks like it was easy to make, but it must not have been because movies this wry and likable hardly ever get made. Usually a clunky plot gets in the way or the filmmakers are afraid to let their characters seem too smart. Watching High Fidelity, I had the feeling I could walk out of the theater and meet the same people on the street and want to, which is a even higher compliment, which that's pretty good. Four yeah. out of four as well for, for Roger Ebert. It isn't too bad. Like, that's pretty decent. Yeah. Um, no Barry Norman review, unfortunately, but um, Ian Freer, a good old veteran of um, Empire, uh, gave the film four stars out of five, saying, Against the odds, director Freers and co. have fashioned a funny, involving, smart meditation on the prattle of the sexes by retaining most of. The incident and attitude of the novel, and adding a broader, more accessible feel, which I make him right on that. Yeah, I definitely make him right on that. He, um, he's probably the uh, the most kind of argue, uh, accurate about that. Um, Roger e- Roger Ebert, I think, gets a wee bit more personal, whereas um, Freer really sort of like honed in on what the, yeah. the film did. The film did with the the novel. Um, but yeah, what was uh, what was your kind of first memories of seeing this film? When did you
2: first? Uh, um, I remember I'm familiar it. with it. I remember it coming out. I was a big fan of Gross Point Blank, and off the back of that became a big John Cusack fan, so dive backwards into John Cusack. And I was really looking forward to this coming out to the point where I was reading all the reviews. I only read one negative review, which was the Daily Mail. And so, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> back when I used to work at Tesco's, and they had all the papers out in the staff room, so yep. just read through the film bits on a Friday in each of them. <laughs> um, and then I went to the cinema to watch it, because I still got my stub oh amazing went to the cinema to watch it at 20 to 7 on the 2nd of August 2000 Oof. which I'm surprised it took me two weeks to get to it. I don't know whether it was it took a little bit longer to get to Gloucester Cinema
3: because back
2: then we didn't necessarily get things like that on the week of release they'd sometimes take mm-hmm. a little while to get to us because you know being a town in the arse end of nowhere <laughs> 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 but despite boasting Fred West as not claim to fame <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and um, i f- I loved this film straight away. I'd not read the book at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my only knowledge of Nick Hornby was the film Fever Pitch mm-hmm. with Colin Firth. That was Colin my Firth, only, yeah. Sort of Nick Hornby benchmark at the time. I've read the book since, yeah, and re-listened to the audiobook ahead of this.
4: Oh dear, we'll get into
2: that in a wee bit. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the book and that in a bit. But yeah, I loved this. I felt like a film was speaking to me. Having the previous year, still into two thousand, gone through a very bad breakup, in which I possibly behaved a bit like the worst sides of Rob. <laughs> <laughs> she was very all... much my Charlie Nichols. Right. Okay. Um, okay.
4: I was gonna. I was gonna ask what came first, the. The movie or the misery, but hey ho, we've, we've got we've got into it, so it's we, fine. <laughs> we found each other
2: at the same time, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's sort of it spoke to me. I mean, it, you sort of look at it now with a modern lens, and you're like, it's a problem. That's um, stalking advert that's just been used now that plays like a rom com. Mm. I'm like, fucking hell, yeah! Like, we've known for a while that most behaviours in rom coms is pretty much stalking. Harassment yeah. and stalking, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. It's this is always described as like the rom com for blokes, and I don't think it is that.
4: Yeah, that was how it was first described to me as well. It's,
2: that feels like a very basic description of it.
4: Yeah, what is it they call them? They call them like brom coms or some
2: shit like yeah, that. Like yeah. bro, it's just so stupid. Just anything where you throw a bloke in, if anything else as well the lead character is a nerd. Mm-hmm. Great, he's a music nerd, but he's a nerd. You can swap that out for comics or movies or sport or anything. Yeah, I felt seen. <laughs> <laughs> I felt seen. <laughs> it's like when I listen to films to be buried with, you like, what film you know, do you relate to the most? It's like, it's this one. For better and worse, yeah. it's this one.
4: Yeah. I think it's quite funny as well, though, because you're saying there about, like... Um... Uh, the the kind of better the points of romcoms could almost seem like stalking, um, and yet this film kind of almost calls that out, yeah. in it as well. Um, it knows its problem, and addresses it head on. You know, they actually say it's harassment. Yeah. Um, bit more so in the book as opposed to the film, but uh yeah. But then like that, like Freer said, and he's um, in his uh astute sort of sentence review there. It's, it's very short review. Um it is that thing of like it's just made more accessible. And I think I don't know about you, but I think having um John Cusack at that kind of time as well as your lead made it more accessible and made him a lot less of an arsehole kind of yeah. thing. Yeah,
2: because um, I know people don't like this film because they can't get on board with the John Cusack character. And it is mainly female reviews and people I know, and that is 100% legitimate. Mm-hmm. I think because it is quite an honest look at men, because we've mm-hmm. all, whether we've gone to that extreme or not, we've all behaved badly after a breakup or potentially will at some point. Or, you know, we've all done stuff that the person doesn't know about. Like when mm-hmm. he lists off the things that make him an arsehole, kind of like, you know, if you thought about it, there probably are things that I would be considered an asshole as well.
4: It's funny. Well, it's a light It's it's a line that's in the in the book that isn't in the film. At that point, as he lists all the stuff like he does in the film, but then he says, "Now do yourself a favor." He's like, "I'm I'm I'm really." He's, he says something like, "I'm really not that bad." He's like, "Go write down the worst thing that you've done to a partner," and he's like, "Whether they know about it or not," and he says, "I'll give you a minute." Yeah, he says no. Am I? Th-? He's like, now Am I that much now? of an arsehole? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's like, yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, I understand what he's saying. I mean, I think I don't think I've ever done anything as bad as that. Um, I won't ever be accused of of going that. Um. Horrible, but I've, I've never, I, I don't think anybody's a saint in the relationship at all.
2: But no, this is the whole thing when you start throwing shit online and that, isn't it? It's like, just yeah, take exactly. five minutes to look at yourself and make sure there'd be nothing that had ever come back to bite you in the ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's part of the thing of maturing as a person as well. We're all petulant fucking kids, even in our 30s yeah. sometimes. It's
4: just, yeah.
2: That's all Plus... it is. It's about watching a man grow. Yep. Which I yep. think the film does better than the book for me. The book. It's a bit darker at the end, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas the film's got a much rosier sort of when him and Laura get a bit. Obviously, he's still got the fantasies and the wandering mind, wandering eye kind yeah. of thing. Yep. But Which, you again, th- is quite an honest thing about men as well. Whether you act mm-hmm. on it or not, everybody looks at somebody on the bus and is like, what my life would be like about that person, or whatever. Yep. Doesn't mean well, you everybody... act on it. It's just daydreaming.
4: <laughs> exactly. It's just daydreaming. Yeah, everybody daydreams. It's not. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you're unhappy. That's you're it. just you're a human being who's quizzical, like you've got I, questions. Everybody's got questions about everything. Like, I can't you know remember I mean? if it's they...
2: Russell Howard or if Russell Howard has something similar, but there was a somebody that was a thing of a lot. You know, some of the best relationships I've ever had with people I've never women I've never interacted with on the bus, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we've had yeah, whole no. lives together on that bus trip. <laughs>
4: I think um I saw a thing that was kind of wistful like that recently that was like, um it was like you're the it was something like you're the person that I've chosen um to go past the daydream with or something like that yeah and it was like there was like a, there was an elaboration on it but it was like you imagine these lives with all these people in your head all the time and it's like the person that you you end up with is the person that you wanted to see it act out in front of you sort of thing. And I kind of feel like that's a lot of what happens within the film as well. It's yeah. a lot of stuff of like him imagining how things would go um or how things could have went like post breakup or whatever. And then him eventually confronting it and kind of being like, oh no, it wouldn't have went that way. Like why did I even think it would go that way? Because we're two totally different people. You know what I mean? Like
2: is that whole thing in it like you know, I wish I was still single sometimes. It's like you should <laughs> and like within two minutes I'm like it's like I watch like my nephews and that, and I'm like, it just looks so exhausting dating now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, There's you flick a... on the telly and first dates is on or something, and you watch two minutes and you like, "Yeah, this is just exhausting. I can't be doing
4: this." <laughs> There's a sketch um by the comedy trio Auntie Donna, the Australian comedy trio Auntie Donna, where he's got a thing where he's at a barbecue with his mate and he's saying that, um, you know, he's had a great, great time in his relationship and he's, like, looking about and sort of goes, but if I was single, and it shows, like, what he would do with this girl that's at the barbecue, but what he's saying and what is actually happening on the screen are two totally different things. So he's saying about, like, romancing her and giving her all this stuff. But what is showing is him, like, panicking and downing the drink that he brought for her, going home pissed, wanking on his own, eating ice cream and, like, falling asleep <laughs> while he's dressing gown on with, like, I think it's Titanic or something on, on the laptop. <laughs> but, like, what he's saying is, like, oh, I would make sweet love to her all night, blah, blah, blah. Um and then he's like high-fiving, giving it fucking yeah. I miss being single. And then you just see it like in his face, the total dread. Like <laughs> so funny.
2: I've disappointed enough women in life. I found the woman that I'm happy to disappoint for the rest of her life. So. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh dear! You you're, you've got the person that isn't um, isn't as put off by
2: being disappointed. Who's just willing to put up. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs>
4: It's funny because, like Rob's, kind of almost like that in in the film as well. Like he yeah. almost has that kind of thing of like, you know, I could be chasing this, I could be doing all this sort of stuff. Like I, I could be running about and, you know, having it off with um, reporters or whatever, and you know, the music people were doing this stuff. He's like, but you're there for me. He's like, you know, you're at the end of the day, like. This is real. This is actually something that's happening. Yeah, I,
2: that... I love that speech he gives about the fantasy and the reality and how awkward yeah. it is trying to explain it as well. I love the thing about, you know, dreamed I'd be surrounded by exotic women's underwear. It's like, yeah. when in reality, <laughs> I know that they just keep that stuff for when they know they're going to sleep with somebody. Yeah, The same way the blokes do, like he says in the book, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah, like, Women are just like men with that. It's like, it's all a con. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love that whole thing about the fantasy In the fantasy we have cute problems Like you said in the movie I want to see Or whatever, in reality yeah. And like you say, it is finding that person That you want to do the reality with Go beyond the yeah. fantasy
1: Yeah, exactly That the girl or other women Whatever, I mean I was thinking that they're just fantasies You know, and They always seem really great because there's never any problems. And if there are, there are cute problems like. You know, we bought each other the same Christmas present or she wants to go see a movie that I've already seen, you know? And then I come home. And you and I have real problems. and you don't even want to see the movie. I want to see period and. There's no lingerie. And
2: I have lingerie. Yes,
1: you do. You have great lingerie. But you also have the cotton underwear that's been washed a thousand times. and it's hanging on the thing and. And they have it too. It's just, I don't have to see it because it's not in the fantasy. Do you understand? I'm tired of the fantasy because it doesn't really exist and there are never really any surprises and it never really...
0: Delivers? Delivers.
1: Right. And I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of everything else for that matter. But I don't ever seem to get tired of you. So.
4: Um, before we get any sort of further into it, um... I'm going to I'm going to ask you just as um a thing for you know our adoring audience um what what how would you sum this film up just really quickly like not even like a, a, a DVD blurb just something you would say to somebody like oh it's such and such such and such and this is what happens.
2: oh see I'm shit at this stuff <laughs> <laughs> I mean the basic the thing that oh, you always remember it being about a guy going back and speaking to his exes that's a yeah. really small part of the film in the grand scheme it is of it. It is because I mean this one doesn't even have the fifth one she's in third place he bumps her to five and then she gets a raise completely isn't it it's um mm-hmm. Jackie Alden yep who's the middle one which is in the book it goes yeah. into it that she was his friend girlfriend at school and then he stole her off of him. Yeah. which I get that that wouldn't have played in the film at all
4: no not in the slightest. And um, did, did that even make it to deleted scenes? I don't think it did, No, did it. it didn't. No, yeah, he just, just got
2: ran out. he bumps her for Laura in the end. Which yeah. makes sense for the film, and then you're largely looking at the last most recent girlfriend.
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: Heartbreak. And I yeah. like that, you know, he puts Laura on the list once he finds out there's the potential that she's sleeping with somebody else. Yeah. Which that is a big thing. Like when, Ian <laughs> when Liz asked why does she want him back so but why does she want him back so badly? Yeah. And all that. But um yeah, I mean so Simple thing is like you know, a recently dumped guy. I reviewed this on Radio Gloucester, and I had a little blurb. But yeah, a oh, nice. recently dumped guy reflects on past relationships and mistakes. Which I think this film inspired that documentary, in which that guy went round. Is it my sexual failures or something like that? A guy who went oh round yeah, speaking to all his ex girlfriends. Which, like I said, when I talked about this on the radio this is one of those films, one of those things. It sounds like a nice idea to catch up with your exes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so, well, it's, so Again, it's, it's the fantasy in your head, isn't it? Where they tell you that you weren't that bad, it was just, you know, life, and you know you part on good terms, when in actuality...
4: Yeah, you're probably, you're looking at
2: a fucking argument right there, like... Or definitely. just shit you do not want to hear. Yeah, <laughs> Even if you think you want to hear it.
4: Exactly. There was... Um... There was an Adam Brody film as well that came off of, I, I think off of the back of this as well, where he goes around uh, speaking to his exes, but I can't remember what for the life of me, what it was called. I was trying to look it up there to see what it was. Um, Some yeah. Girls?
2: Yeah, that one rings a bell. And the other one was, like, you know, a complete history of my sexual failings or something like that. I honestly can't yeah, remember yeah, yes. exactly what it was called.
4: A, it, there was an Adam Brody film in uh, 2013 called Some Girls uh, where he's away to get married and then he goes around uh, meeting all his exes and just kind of finding out like what they didn't like about him and all that kind of stuff it's actually not that great a film yeah. um, and it, it, it is just it focuses on that and nothing else sort of thing so that's where it fails whereas like like you say high fidelity always has that bit written about that's what the films about but it's such a small part of it yeah. it's more it's more about sort of a character piece on rob and on relationships on a whole like friendships uh how he interacts with his parents how he inter- how the uh, relationship has been with laura and stuff um, beforehand afterwards everything between the people that are adjacent to her like her friend Liz and all this kind of stuff, and even how he was connected to um, Laura's dad and all this kind of stuff. Like it's, it, it's, I think it's an incredible piece of filmmaking because, in comparison to the book, I, I just don't think it. I just don't think the book holds a patch on it at all. The book is so narcissistic and so focused on Rob and so not focused on the relationships because it keeps coming back to, "Ah, but what about me, though? Yeah. The film detracts a lot of the time. He has the the first-person narration, the sort of breaking the fourth wall thing and speaking to the audience that keeps the focus on him in that respect. But everything else that happens in the film... Gives you the broader spectrum and keeps it not as focused on him, sort
2: of thing. Yeah, and that's it. I think partly I don't know whether it's because I came to the book after the film and i read the book obviously years ago because I was a massive fan of the film and wanted more. Yeah. Um, and it's quite surprising how much of the book is in the film, speech yeah. toys and all that stuff. And then I listened to the audible audiobook just to refresh my memory of the book because I didn't have time to reread it ahead of this, which was Russell Tovey, which he wasn't the right guy for reading that, I don't think. No. Um, Again, it could be that I'm used to the way John Cusack delivers the lines, but he's just off and he puts weird pauses in and misdelivers lines that should have been inflected in a different way kind of thing. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, So that possibly also reflects on my memory of the book, but I do find the book to be a lot darker. I don't feel Rob in the book grows like Rob in the film grows.
3: Yeah, because right. essentially the
2: film is about a man-child learning, growing up, mm-hmm. learning to understand yeah. religion. I mean, they've got the same last line, you know, about making a mixtape for Laura, mm-hmm. kind of see how that's done for the stuff she'd like, and I can kind of see how that's done, which is essentially his way of being like, you know, yeah, I've I've grown. Yes, but it it feels darker, but it feels less like. I believe that the Robin lore of the film would stay together. I don't believe the Robin lore of the book would stay together.
4: No, that was that was what I always remember from reading it. Every time I came away from that book, it was more of a, um, you know, one of those, it's left to your own imagination kind of endings. Like you've kind of got to take away how that would, how that would progress forward, and and, and it is like you say, it's just darker. It's more. I don't know, it's just it's just more uncertain. Everything about it is more uncertain because the entirety of the bookies just made you feel kind of uneasy about every relationship that Rob's ever got in. Whereas in the film, I think Cusack does such a good job of playing that character that you believe that, like you say, he's grown. Um, but you also believe that his connection to Laura has intensified greatly to the point that he has like such an... Uh, so He kind of almost has admiration for her in a way.
2: Yeah. He goes. Well, I think the he thing go- that works for film Rob as well is he has that top five things I miss about Laura thing. Yeah. Which I don't, it's not in the book. It, uh, I don't think so. I do don't it. remember hearing it in the audio thing and I don't remember reading it, but that's such a great thing where he just talks about the things he misses about Laura and that's when you know that he genuinely is in love with Laura. It's not just oh, yeah. a shit I can't have her anymore. I want her back. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of get the feeling this, that Laura wants to be back with him, whereas in the book, it feels a little bit like she's just settling to be back with him.
4: Yeah, definitely.
2: definitely. Which arguably is possibly closer to reality than, but, you know, you go to a film to get that Hollywood lie, don't
4: you? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because a lot of the time, like, that would be a big criticism of a film. would be like, oh, it's got that Hollywood shine on it. It's got the thing that takes the reality away from it and just makes it too happy and makes it too um, polished or whatever. But it was almost better in a way. Um, It was so much better and it just made for a better piece of entertainment. It's funny because High Fidelity, it's funny that we're speaking about it because it's. I wouldn't say it's one of my favourite films. It is a favourite of mine. Um, it's in my top, whatever, you know. <laughs> but, it, it, um... it is
2: generally in my all time top five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Like I said, this film connected with me at the right time in my life, at the right age in my life. Exactly. And exactly. Not not to swing too far, but I possibly don't think I'd be married now. Because it wasn't on after this film, like a year or so later, that I got into the relationship with my wife and all right. You know, it's not been a perfect mm-hmm. relationship. We've had our ups and our downs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's 20 odd years. Well, twenty-one years this year. You know, she she is my <laughs> she should have murdered me. She'd have got less. <laughs> but um... but you know, I, this film sort of it sounds stupid to be like you know this film made me grow as a man, but it did sort of make me realize that fuck, I've been acting like a dickhead, like an entitled yeah. fucking dickhead.
4: Yep. Yep. It's yeah, that's funny because the rewatch. Um, for this, I kind of was sitting going like, "Oh man, like <laughs> this is this is this doesn't reflect well on my life at all." <laughs> uh, th- l- l- luckily, like my my missus is a, is a saint. Um, she's uh, she's she's just incredible. Um, but I think I think every person in a relationship, not just guys, I think every person is is capable of putting their other half through some level of um trials of yeah. some sort. being in a relationship is hard, full stop. Um and, and I think be- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's funny because it is an age and experience thing as well. And that is what's depicted in the film. Yeah. Is like you say, you go through the early stages of them being like really young and then in school and then sort of coming out of college or whatever and all this kind of stuff. And you see the progression in that in that aspect and then I'm getting into his 30s and thinking like you know none of this was worth it it was good then it's not now sort of thing like it's 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 interesting watching that but the point the point i was making was um i did this rewatch for the for the podcast and um i fell more in love with the film and less in love with the book and yeah. i actually i adored the book for the longest time it was one of my favorite books people would say What's your favourite book? And I go, High Fidelity and Great Gatsby. <laughs> um and I genuinely, I'm no no word of a lie, in revisiting this to com- do the comparison. I've gave the book away. Um yeah. yeah, it just did nothing for me. And I genuinely was going through it going, This isn't a good book. This is 90s lad culture, and that's what it is. Yeah. Um, but the film. Isn't that
2: the no, film? It's, it's one of the few books I've read twice as well, because I rarely read books twice. Obviously, comic mm. book, graphic novels, I read, I've read more than once, but novels, yeah. I'm just not that kind of person. Once I've read a book, that's it. Yeah. It's all done with it, it's out of my life kind of thing. If, if you, I revisit um, it, I'll get the audio book.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you are you in agreement that you think the film holds up? Yes. Yeah. There are
2: there are things... there's. Things with the film, but there's some things with the film that never sat right with me. His reaction to finding out that he dumped Penny and that, you know, she was essentially felt like she'd been raped.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. His
2: his reaction to that, as much as it plays for and Cusack's reaction to it, is kind of amusing in his blasé-ness, It's also fucking horrible. Especially yeah. again, the further away we get from the film, the more stuff like that is just more in the zeitgeist post me too mm-hmm. and everything else mm-hmm. but that seems never so when we watched it because i went to that evening with john cusack thing in london yeah um which my wife went to begrudgingly because she's like i've seen this film so many times i can't dragging my ass to this but it was a really good night it was it wasn't perfect the film was played on a really small screen on a stage in the oh. theater so it wasn't like a cinema thing again. And then John Cusack on stage for about 40 minutes, and the guy interviewing him spent most of the time talking about love and mercy instead of high fidelity. It's kind of like if you wow. want to do a career retrospective with John Cusack, that's fine, but we okay. need 40 minutes. Yeah. It was good. He talked about like Scott Rosenberg, who's a writer I like. He wrote Beautiful, uh, Beautiful Girls, which is another film that I love. Hmm. But yeah, he's only got a credit on it because he wrote the original adaptation there was a rule in Hollywood that if you wrote did the original adaptation into a screenplay you got credit on all future versions. Right, okay. So He basically did nothing on the script that was used in this film but he has to have that credit. Yeah. So I think John Cusackley did jack shit on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think there is some bitterness there about it but, you know.
4: (laughs) They they did work together afterwards,
2: though, didn't they? He wrote the script for Con Air, yes, which John Cusack yeah, was I in. So, yeah, Hollywood bullshit, isn't it? <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but, it,
4: but yeah, the, the people
2: in that were pissing themselves laughing at everything. Of course, they were. And even like the first time I saw it, I didn't laugh as much as these people laugh. I and mean, even my wife was like, these people are doing my head in. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, I don't think it's a, it's not a hilarious film. No, it's a gentle, rye. it's like Roger Ebert said, it's got a nice wry humour to it. It's not, um, yeah. there's a couple of laugh out loud funny bits in it. The fantasies about beating the shit out of Ian and all that hilarious.
4: Fucking brilliant.
2: And, <laughs> um, you know, Liz storming in and going, Hey Rob, you fucking asshole. And then she was <laughs> just going, Hi Barry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, like with many other films, Joan Cusack is like the secret weapon of this film. Yeah, She's such a great comedic actress.
4: I don't know about you, but did you find that a lot of um, reviews spoke about how Jack Black stole the scene and stuff like that, yeah. like every time he was on screen? Do you agree with that? Because
2: I didn't. I, I don't I can see why he like became massive off the back of it. But for me, Todd Luiso was the secret weapon of those three in the shop.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
2: His sort of reaction when um John Cusack jumps over the counter and has started strangling Barry. He's like, Cut cut it out. And then the way his eyes shift as they go their separate ways. <laughs>
4: it was him as well when he's saying to him um, like, Oh, you know, Laura moved out. Can you just can you Tell Barry the next time you see him. Yeah, I'll, I'll totally tell him. I mean, I've got stuff to tell him anyway. Um, so I can tell him at that time. And and yeah, I'll tell him about Laura because, you know, it's, it's going to be easier if I tell him. Yeah, I could totally do that. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's it. Because as much as I
2: say I relate to Rob, <laughs> I probably fall somewhere between Dick yeah. and Rob.
3: <laughs>
2: I'm definitely not a Barry, but I'm definitely somewhere between a Dick and a Rob. I worked with a guy in HMV who pretty much dressed and looked like. Todd so as well. Yeah, in this film, um, I knew I knew far too
4: many people that were like Barry to like him in any yeah, way, shape I, or form. I've known some Barrys as well, but
2: the Barry in the film is warmer than the Barry in the book. Yes, like when he finds out that Dick's going out with Anna, he's really supportive, and you know he takes the piss a little bit, but he's like, you know, smokes some ass, which is Barry's way of being like, good for you, man.
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: Whereas in the book, <laughs> he's a prick. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Would you say would you say that that's your famous, your sort of favorite performance in it then?
2: Which the Todd Luiso one. Yeah, yeah. Um I think so. I think I mean Cusack's great anyway. Cusack does what Cusack does. Oh when I did my film we had a line in it that was like they go together like John Cusack and Rain. <laughs> Cusack <laughs> has that broken heart he does. guy down. Like say anything, this, even gross point blank. Identity
4: um, as well. Identity, he totally- yeah covered in rain and Identity. <laughs> but,
2: but yeah, I think Todd Lewis, I also really think, even though she's barely in it, um Jolie Carter, who plays Penny, really good in those two... Mm-hmm. Short scenes. When he, like, you know, says, what's the point, and walks away, the way she breaks on the steps... Yeah.
4: Yep. Yeah, she's really good. Because again, um, I think
2: back to, like, Girls I Went Out With at School, and it's like, I possibly might have been that cruel not intentionally <laughs> but in breaking up with somebody in that way yeah. that you are as a kid you're just kind of like, what's the fucking point of this shit <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah and then when she's like you know saying to him you know when you dump me because the usual charming expression i was tight <laughs> she's great in that little bit before she storms out
4: yeah she is actually she's really good
2: and Again, I remember being in it for more, but it's those two tiny little scenes, pretty much.
4: Yep. I thought I'm. Um, I thought Jones was actually really good in it as well. Yeah. Considering I don't I think up until that point that I'd first seen High Fidelity, I hadn't actually seen her play a character like that. Like really over the top. Yeah. I'd seen her in stuff that she was quite I don't know, she's a bit more subdued. Like even though She's quite a big character in Zorro and stuff like yeah. that as well, but she's but she's still quite she's quite mellow and just a bit more playing the sort of damsel a little bit like ooh, like shocked sort of stuff and even like entrapment and stuff like that as well. There's no like over the top acting in it.
2: Um, I grew up with is... Darling Buds of May on a Sunday night with my parents. <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> and then you've got her all of a sudden, you know, straddling John Cusack with a fag in her hand. Uh, Taking her top off and throwing it about, and you know, sitting in the middle of a a sofa going, Fuck! (laughs) I'm
2: like, Whoa, holy shit. Uh, She's really good. Like, she is because she's believable as that woman you'd fall in love with, but also as that obnoxious person that you've just blanked it out. Yep. Um, And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that the, you know, my equivalent of Charlie was like that, but I'm sure there is shit that I've blocked out. (laughs) That way you do when you reflect nostalgically on ex girlfriends
4: yeah but yeah you Block sure.
2: out all the shit unless it's one that you're really glad it ended mm-hmm. you block out all that you block out all the bad stuff yeah but she's great um tim robbins as well is amazing in this
4: oh for the little that he's in it because he's barely in it he's in it for for going into the shop being in the apartment and the imagined sex scene <laughs> and that's that's it you know what i mean and Honestly, every single bit is just incredible. The way he picks up that phone angrily, slams it down, centres himself, and then looks at her and just smiles and gets back on with dinner is It's the way he comes
2: in with the pan with the, like, I need a second opinion. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's (laughs) essentially a character to be hated and ridiculed. Yeah. yeah, With with his Steven Seagal ponytail.
4: (laughs) (laughs) He's so good. He's is. such an—he's an incredible actor. He is actually an incredible actor. Um, it's just—it was quite—it was, a, do you know? It was actually quite a bit of a, a surprise to see him in the in the movie, even though he's a very diverse actor. It's just you always it, most people will go to fucking Andy Dufresne, won't they? Yeah. Straight away, and then all of a sudden here he is with long, long graying hair uh like grabbing on to Laura and all different kinds of positions to some like sitar in the background <laughs> you know like it's just brilliant like, talking about his what is it, he's Moroccan dish or something like yeah. that um, just so good so good
2: I, I have a weird thing with foley noises that they use in films the noise it makes when he picks the phone up and slams it back down on the glass table, I love that little noise, it's like weird yeah. little bits of foley really stick with me that's one of them um <laughs> Yeah, he's just so good. Like, you know, he is that fucking Ian guy.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they beat the share of him in that shop, like, it is just unbelievable. Because,
2: again, it's... we've all had those fantasy moments of how we're going to react to yeah. this person that we cannot fucking stand. And inevitably, it will always be you just stand there and they walk away. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> just I so the...
2: We leave it at that one. Well, think about it. And I love his delivery of, like, you know, I've stopped doing that. It's like you were there this morning.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have but thought better of it.
2: <laughs> uh, and I love the fantasy line where like, you're going to look back on 10 phone calls tonight the golden age. Get ready, <laughs> motherfucker. I'm like bolting out of the shop. <laughs> I, I kind of want to know what a patchouli stink is as well. He tells him to get his patchouli stink out of my store.
4: Yeah, I would love to say that I uh, would love to know what a patchouli stink is, but I know what a patchouli stink is, mate. And you don't want to know what a patchouli stink yeah, is. I probably does. But... <laughs> there are certain kinds of patchouli, lovely other stuff. Ugh. <laughs> and he looks like he reeks of like the stuff that smells like a mixture between like wet and
2: onion. <laughs> I think we've all met an Ian type person. Yeah. I think mine was called Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's just that fucking asshole world music. Shit.
4: Whatever. It's such a good way of describing somebody as well. There was always a smell of spices yeah. and uh, whatever world music was in that week, I'm like, oh god, yeah. I know it. I know he's listening to some didgeridoo at some point. Uh, it's, a little, it's, little a, like
2: that. And it's like when he's talking about the money it was Laura's, like just because she's moved in with some super tram fan doesn't make me five grand <laughs> richer <laughs> <laughs> <But, laughs> so good um again, I talked about it before with other films, but this is definitely another no small parts film. Everybody's great in this, yep, even down yep. to the you know, I just called to say I love you guy, who's the guy he assassinates in gross point blank. Is it? Yeah, the one he tries to kill in his sleep but fucks it up, so I have to <laughs> shoot him. Um, Even down to Springsteen. I mean, i was a Springsteen fan anyway. Springsteen's little cameo is great. It could have gone horribly good. wrong.
4: It could have. <laughs> but to be fair, he is just sitting vamping with the guitar as normal, yeah. isn't he?
2: Yeah, I can't I imagine know. it was a massive stretch for Springsteen, but still at the same time. It's like, we want you to play you in this guy's head.
1: I know. Cool. I want more... I want to see the others on the big top five. I want to see Penny and Charlie and Sarah, all of them, you know. Just see them and talk to them. You know, like a Bruce Springsteen song. You call, you ask them how they are, and see if they've forgiven you. Yeah, and then, and then I'd feel good. And they'd feel good. Now they'd feel good maybe, but but you'd feel better. I'd feel clean and calm. That's what you're
0: looking for. You want to get ready to start again? That'd be good for you. Great Ethan. Give that big final good luck and goodbye to your all-time top five, and just move on down the road. Good luck.
4: Thanks, boss. Do you think that's? Do you think that's like? Peak physical Springsteen as well because he looks
2: incredible at in that bit. Yeah, I mean he still looks pretty good now for a guy who's like oh god yeah, whatever he yeah. is. But I get the feeling as well that the film is warmer to Springsteen. The book sounds quite dismissive of Springsteen when they're talking about mm-hmm. it being like a Springsteen song. Um, there's a lot of bitterness. To well,
4: it. <laughs> well, there's that whole thing as well of like maybe the relocation has something to do with that. Like I was going to say, to you like. Do you think, do you think it's maybe the relocation of it and turning it American as opposed to keeping it British that maybe keeps it a bit more relevant and up to date than? Yeah, quite than possibly because
2: one of the things with that q thing was that they were talking about how good the soundtrack is because the soundtrack is good and it opened the door mm. to me for so many other things. Between that and the guy <laughs> who was like Dick when I worked at HMV. introducing me to bands. That was a huge thing for opening up my musical taste. Um, But he says in that that, you know, in the book it's a lot more Motown, R&B, sort of, that classic thing. Because they did that in the book, they wanted to do something different in the film. Yeah, Um, There's a bit more pop sensibility to them. Not saying it is pop, but it's got a pop sensibility to it. And I've got nothing against pop at all. So with, like, your Stevie Wonder, with... Yeah, the jam. I know the jam's not pop, but you know what I mean.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but even <laughs> even down to like you know uh, the Beta Band three EPs. Yeah. Which yeah. one I worked at FOP. We tr- I tried recreating that, but we only had three copies. But I did sell all three by playing that song. <laughs> <laughs> that was my one little high fidelity in real life moment.
4: Fantastic. That's that's, imp- that's an impressive part right there because that bit I always love that bit of the film. Like watch me sell three copies yeah. of the beta band right now. It's amazing. Um I I'd I'd mentioned this to my to my other half. I'd I'd said um uh, I think a thing about the book and the film is that a lot of the musical references that they make in the film are already I think they're already older. So yeah. Th- that then instantaneously gives it that timeless quality because you're not then dating it from what's coming out right there and then. The only thing that really is like a recent thing in the film is uh, Marie's music, and even then that's kind of made up anyway. So, Peter um, fucking Frampton.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. Which but I still like, say whenever I hear that song, it's like, Peter fucking Frampton. Yes, yeah,
4: so good. So good. Is that Peter fucking Frampton? To the point he where Peter so Frampton
2: really should have just leaned into it and been like Peter fucking Frampton on Yeah, control. exactly. <laughs>
4: he seems so pained when he says it though. Like he yeah. stops and goes by like, is that Peter fucking? It's the way the,
2: the bouncer on the or the doorman or whatever is just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> and just there, you know, I used to hate this song. Yeah. Now I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that little thing about dating a musician as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's nothing sexier than a creative person. So we've all had that little fantasy of just being a little in joke in their work.
3: <laughs> so good,
4: but there's um, yeah. The, I think the film did a good job of that. Like, like I say, it's the, the a lot of the stuff that they reference has already already been and gone anyway. So, it's already stuff that's dated by that point. Whereas in the book, I think they reference a lot of stuff that's newer. The only kind of one that I can think of in the film that was more up to date was that he mentions Massive Attack at one point.
2: Yeah, and they play a Stereo Lab song, which I think was not recent, but fairly modern at the time. Yeah,
4: but I, I feel like the ones, the music that they chose, it, I don't know. There, there was a kind of timeless element to it. It it, it, it doesn't sound oh, yeah, there's nothing so that specific. Dates the film.
2: It's not like. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen like this year's love, which was a British film. It's got a very 1998 soundtrack.
4: No, but my other half watches a load of like really cra- crappy rom coms. Like it's it's an sit-
2: alright film, but it's got a really a bit like the Bridget Jones films. have got a really then soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. um
4: yeah, it's it's Richard something...
2: Curtis films of that time are quite guilty for... Yes, you know, I was going to say it's a bit. hot shit now, kind of thing. Because, yeah. I mean, one of the things from this film is I bought albums. I bought the three EPs by the beta band. I bought the Stiff Little Fingers album. <laughs> I bought <laughs> Blonde on Blonde. <laughs> ah. um,
4: You're not a heathen,
2: then. <laughs> no. Um, I love the Dylan track that this most of the time. Yeah, I know. Works so well with that scene as well. And um, there's another album I bought because of this as well. I can't remember what it is is. the stop my head now. But It cracks me up how many train stickers are dotted around in the shop. I know. I noticed them. It um... was the year after when Drops of Jupiter came out that put her train on everybody's radar. I, know. <laughs> I was watching it now. There's like, like three stickers on that one rack alone. Yeah. Yep. I was thinking that as
4: well, because there's all the stickers in Rob's office. I was looking at them like, oh look, there's a perfecto st- a sticker. I've not seen that for fucking years. Uh, there's a su- there's a like, like, of
2: like. Montreal on one of the posters. Isn't that? Like yeah, Your exactly. <laughs> band that somebody I worked with introduced me to, and there's a big star poster in the background as well. Yep. Yep. It's like all these obscure, ba- but but you know, I just love. one of the great things about soundtracks. As much as people dismiss them as just soundtracks, is that they open doors to.
4: Oh God! Yeah. Yeah.
2: I was there's listening to There's a great track in the closing credits after the Stevie Wonder one, which I love that Stevie Wonder one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Little Red Book by Love, the band called Love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like when I was working with that guy in HB, he was like, Have you heard of the band Love? I was like, No. He's like, The door, they were like the doors, they would have been bigger, but they wouldn't leave LA. And he played me some of it. I was like, I know this song. It's in the end. It's high <laughs> fidelity. The and there's another Love song in the film. Um, and that was like my entry into it. Like, mm-hmm. I got into the band Love then through that. I just love things that open you up to more things. Yeah, I'd love to understand music so that I could talk about it the way they talk about it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like I can't tell you why a song works critically or anything like that. I just like shit. Not like I could with a film, mm-hmm. and even then, I'm not quite that bullshity with the film. Yeah, like this one I'm yeah, not yeah. going to dissect the mise en scène and all that bullshit. <laughs>
4: Now we got time? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, this is what Stephen Frears was trying to say. <laughs>
4: <laughs> this is my two hour YouTube essay on <laughs> High Fidelity. Wow. Who's that guy? Who's that guy that's doing loads of YouTube essays just now? The guy with his specs. He speaks in a
2: really quite hushed tone. Oh, that guy. Um,
4: yeah. See, I love how you got it just from. Yeah, really I can't really remember what his
2: name tone. is. I've watched a couple of them. They're quite soothing. It's great. Yeah, it reminds that's me of the crazy. Canadian guy from the um fashion. Yeah, yeah, we took four yeah, ordinary does, toilet yeah. tissue tubes. He's <laughs> um, um,
4: yeah, he I can't, I can't remember his name either. He he, but yeah, you need to do, you need to do your version of that now. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this
2: yeah, is, this is... Good. I'd much rather talk about like you know why I love the film and why other people love the film.
4: Yeah, well, am I'm going to hit you with some some top fives actually uh, whilst I think about it so what's your um, top five um, films from director uh,
2: Stephen Frears Uh, uh, this, The Grifters can't think of Stephen Frears films (laughs) now see I'm very much like when (laughs) she asked him his top five songs of all time in the book and he's like can I take this one out and put this one in instead? <laughs> that, that's very much me. Um, I watched a documentary about Stephen Frears recently as well. I've seen my beautiful laundrette at once, but I honestly couldn't tell you whether it'd make a list. I feel like it should because it's such a well-regarded film, but hang on, I'm going to have to IMDB and ask me another one. What was Stephen- <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I can do you a John Cusack one, no problem.
4: Well, there you go then. Yeah. Top five John
2: Cusack performances. Ooh, high fidelity. Yep. Gross point blank. Say anything. Yep. He's been really good in Identity. Yeah, he is. I he's really love the film Identity. And he's also really good in Love and Mercy as Brian Wilson.
4: I haven't seen it yet. I keep but wanting I to because I really
2: love The Shore Thing, and I love some of the lesser, like Better Off Dead and. All, all those ones as well. I really like him in Conair as well. There's very few people that can get away with socks and sandals. <laughs> it's like you're you're a certain kind of man to do that.
4: <laughs> I kinda think of
2: you know like one of those things when, when
4: people say like oh like that, top five, whatever and I just my mind goes blank. Oh he did The Lost King, amazing... I
2: watched that recently.
4: Yes. That was
2: was all right. is good. Uh, Not fussed about the Queen. (laughs) So I love Hypertension. I like the van. Grifters, Accidental Heroes, all right. Dangerous Liaisons is good.
4: See, admittedly, this is the only Stephen Frears film I've seen.
2: Yeah, see... I mean, no disrespect with this, but he's one of those directors that doesn't particularly stand out as me going, oh, that's a Stephen Frears film.
4: Yeah, he he does a good film, but it's there's no... And that's not a bad uh, thing. It's like tell. Rob Reiner.
2: Rob Reiner's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. He's done so many different kinds of films as well. Yeah. I said it as well about um, Richard Donner. Like
3: Richard oh, yeah, Donner's a
2: great, no flair, just makes a really good film points a camera in a really good way, gets the job done. It's not like, you know, you look at a Tim Burton film or a Wes Anderson film or a J.J. Yeah. Abrams film or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Kind exactly. of
4: thing. But, but it it pays. Sometimes it <clears throat> sometimes it pays to have a little niche kind of marker about the your directing style or whatever. And sometimes it just pays to get on with it and tell a good story. You
2: know I mean? Yeah, because I kind of get the feeling with this, he was brought on as a director this mm-hmm. very much feels like a John Cusack joint kind of thing yes yeah um
4: I, oft- I often wonder with stuff like that like those directors like your Wes Andersons and stuff like that if they didn't have those little quirks would they still be good directors like if they were told like you have to make this film but you can't make it your way. you just have to direct it yeah you just have to make sure everything's in place everything's in the script. All production's been taken care of. Everything's been done. Just direct it. Would they still make a good film? Would Wes Anderson go out there and still make something really decent if he didn't have control
2: over it? Yeah. Do
4: you know what I mean? And I, I, I don't know. And I love Anderson. I fucking love that Wes, Wes Anderson. Um, I'm taking, I'm using him as an extreme because yeah. he has a very
2: obvious style. Um, yeah, because he's never sort of differentiated from that. Like, at least with like Tim Burton, you can look at like some of the Planet of the Apes remake or yeah something like that, and be kind of like, I wouldn't necessarily know that was a Tim Burton one, unless you told me it was a Tim Burton one. It's got exactly. Tim Burton-y elements to it, but
4: mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, But yeah, Anderson's like a total, like, everything even down to his H&M ad that he did it was yeah. so clearly his, you know what I mean that it, it, I do often wonder, like, are they are they really good directors or are they just really good artists? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think in that case it's just he's a really good artist, whereas Stephen Freer is clearly a good director. Yeah. Because he can just direct the hell out of something and then wander off like, yep,
2: did that He because there's nothing particularly flashy in this, but the film looks yeah. good.
4: Everything looks great looks
2: great. Everything's blocked out properly and you know, to get insidey baseball and wanky about it. But I, is, I love uh, that shot after he's rung Alison's mum with mm-hmm. the camera sort of lightly slightly moves, but I just he's walking around with the Alison married Kevin. I am fine
4: now.
2: I think one of my favourite
4: shots in the film is uh, him in the rain with the cameras, sort of looking from uh, Charlie's bedroom window perspective, and him falling back and.
2: (laughs) Charlie, you fucking bitch! Let's work it out.
3: (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) Charlie. You fucking bitch! Let's Is work that, this uh, out! And not trying
2: to <laughs> light the cigarette. Uh, and just like, you
3: know,
4: uh, uh, <laughs> So uh, good. But even that, that's that's a great shot. Like really yeah. down low, like watching him walking about and stuff. Like it's just incredible. Um, I know yeah, the cinema was, talk.
2: When he does the top five things I miss about Laura, that's really nicely shot as well. Yeah. It's great. And he makes the most of that shop set as well.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Like it's interesting ah. angles and that sort of thing.
4: Now, massive elephant in the room. The shop. The name of the shop. Championship Vinyl. In Chicago? Yeah. Really? Championship Vinyl. I was, that is the thing that shocks me the most that they didn't change from the book. And they didn't change a lot of stuff, they very much just subtracted a lot of stuff. They didn't actually change a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and that one thing I honestly thought they would subtract or change. I mean, they changed Rob's surname. And that yeah, didn't it's Fleming need Fleming
2: in the book, isn't he?
4: Yeah. But that didn't need to be changed. Fleming's a name. It's not a British name. It's just it's just a name. Um and he's Gordon in the film. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not exactly it's not exactly a a, a Chicago based surname, you know. Um, so they changed that, but they didn't change championship vinyl. And I just sit and, go and like, do Americans understand what a championship final is? Yeah, it's... They don't call the Super Bowl the championship final of American football, you know what I mean?
2: I, yeah, I suppose they just figured that... It's a good pun. Yeah. The, it's a great the, pun. The pun great wasn't important. It's a great name for a shop as well. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what they... Yeah. I suppose. I can't remember what it's... Have you seen the TV series? No, no, I've I mean, not. We get onto it later. I really like the TV series, and the smart thing the TV series does is it changes Rob to a girl. Yes. And it works really well. And I, when they announced the TV series, I was like, what's the fucking point? You perfected it with the film. And I sort of went into the TV series with the same thing going in the book. It's like, this just sounds like somebody doing a weird copy of John Cusack delivering these lines. Yeah. But not quite doing them right. But then <laughs> it became its own. A lot of people said it's a shame it didn't get a second series. perfect perfect right. for me, and okay. it, it it doesn't follow the book after a point. All oh, right, it, it's different. I don't want to say because obviously you've not seen it. So, but it's, if, see, you got, if you have got Disney Plus, it's definitely worth checking out.
4: Yeah, I I was going to watch it and then I thought, no, I'm just not, I'm not bothered by this at all because I like the film so much, but yeah. you, you like, you liking the film so much makes me want to go and check it out. And also it helps as well that it's, it's Zoe Kravitz.
2: Yeah. Being, She's the daughter of Lisa Black.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Being the daughter of Lisa Vinay, you know. Um, I'm wondering if that's why she felt more inclined to take on the role or maybe why she was approached. Possibly. Because they're, they're like, we want some tie-in here of yeah. some sort, so why not? Because when I saw the graphic for it, I went, what the fuck? Like, they've de-aged Lisa Bonet. Yeah. I was like, what? how the fuck have they done that? You know what I mean? And then I was thinking, wait, High Fidelity, and it's a whole show about Marie de- the Cell or whatever. I was like, well, how? what? That doesn't make any sense. And then I'm reading it, I'm like, Rob,
2: What? <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, totally lost. <laughs> it's like I said, it might take a couple of episodes. It took me like an episode and a half to really settle into the rhythm of what it was and detach myself from the film. Yeah, which nature of the beast with any things like that. And but yeah, once it finds its own rhythm and it's actually really compelling, I ended up watching it over like two nights. Yeah, huh. I ended up binge watching it. But yeah, it I, I really enjoyed it. But it yeah, sort of. I mean, I suppose as we brought it up, the Marie de all. What, what are your feelings on sort of that element? Because again, she's a bigger element of the book.
4: Yeah, she is. Um, but another reason for you not to really like Rob because yeah. a lot of his internal monologue is just talking about how she's kind of a bit sycophantic and American and all this kind of stuff, Whereas you can't really do that in a book where it's, in a film where it's set in America. Like They yeah. all talk like that and his main problem in the book is that she speaks in this certain way. He says the same kind of lines, but it's not, um, it's not backed up by the the monologue. It's not ba- yeah. backed up by the the sort of speaking to the audience, saying like, "Oh God, she actually talks this way." Or whatever. Um, it just as John Cusack saying like, "You think sex is a basic human right?"
2: <laughs> um, to which I was like, "Yeah, man." <laughs> like, I love her line about being horny and fucked up at the same time.
4: Yeah, exactly. And then see in the book he says like oh, i always dreamed of like um sleeping with an american woman and i can't believe that this is how they actually talk horny and fucked up who says horny or yeah. and i was like what i was like that's not even a weird word to say at that point yeah. it was like, it doesn't make any sense and then th- there was things like that that dated the book and made it then impenetrable to read again because i was reading it green like none of this holds up like the way he's like black affronted by this stuff i'm being like it's just that's two 90s london lads yeah putting putting down everything that the the woman's saying you know what i mean like oh god you talk like that you pretentious shite and i'm like you're the pretentious shite like (laughs) (laughs) it's ridiculous um yeah just no it was it was stuff like that that put me off of it there's also like just the the sort of overly played rob the narcissist of it all in the in the in the book with that but um i think marie marie de sal um played pretty well like that character played pretty well in the film and it, yeah. it made, and she leaves the film
2: when she needs to yeah exactly um yeah. I, yeah, I love good. when he arrives at the bar to talk, and she starts talking to him, and then you just see Barry in the background, just thinking like, "Yeah, I'm out of this now." So he just turns and starts talking <laughs> to Dick. It, um, it's a good point. One of my favourite deleted scenes happens in that bit where Rob talks to his dad in his head. Yeah, like, the good fuck, and it's purely because it's Harold Ramis. I love the way Harold Ramis does. It's like, you know, stop whining, just go for it.
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it is a shame that it was caught. And Harold Ramis is amazing, but I can see why they cut it.
2: Yeah, it adds nothing to the film. bit like the other scene I love where he goes to Beverly D'Angelo's house with the record collection.
4: Every time I see her face, all I hear in my head is, (laughs) Alan! Every time I just hear, Alan! Or just, a lot of sap in here. (laughs) That's it. But Yeah, I can see why they were cut but they were really good scenes and they are like straight adaptions from the book as well, they were like word for word beat for beat what is said and put forward in in the book Um, and I think that's another reason they were probably cut is because it was just that was too close to the source material at that point, I know they did have whole cloth lines in it, I mean literally Jack Black some of the lines from Barry are just straight off the page but it's very well picked and organized, and they have um, a different
2: inflection to them in the films. A lot of them in the film, yeah, a lot of them exactly. so don't play as cold or as bitter or, yeah. There's nasty actually in some cases,
4: as 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 sort of sweary as the film can be at times as well. There's actually not as much in the film as there is in the book. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the book nearly every second word when they're all together in the shop is fuck, whereas. Uh, in the film, I mean, occasionally they'll say it like, "Oh, what's your fucking point, man," or whatever. But they just kind of chat. They're not constantly swearing at each other. It's not. They're not turning the air blue like it was a fucking shipyard or something. You know what I mean? Like,
2: yeah, it feels more friendly in the film as well compared to the book. Yeah. You
4: know. he he only ever really whines once about owning the record shop as well. Whereas yeah. in the book, he's constantly whining about the fact he has a record shop, which is another thing that puts me off of it. Yeah. We're not I'm not just gonna constantly just slate on the book and say what I do do and do not like and compare it all the time. Like I'll try I'll try and keep it more to a minimal now. But um that was that was another thing of like him complaining about owning a record shop and people saying like oh well you get a proper job and stuff like that. I'm just thinking like what? Like it's it must be a kind of success in a way that is still able to stay open. Okay, and, you got money. You can money employ to... two people. Exactly. Yeah, he got you got money to like keep it afloat a wee bit, but I don't think that's explicitly said in the film. It's said in the book, but it's not said in the film that that was what the money was for. Um, and yeah, he only complains once, like because he doesn't even really complain. He just says, "Oh, I feel like I'm going to die here."
2: Yeah, and once, like once that's to throw it. the country A through K section out and go work in a Virgin Mega Store. Yeah, Megastore.
4: yeah that, but that's
2: Virgin Megastores.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, that dates it quite a bit. Um, right. but that's it. Like, apart from that, he actually quite enjoys it and
2: you can yeah. see it as well. Um,
4: which I like. Yeah, when they're,
2: when they're dicking around with the Beef Heart Safe as Milk customer, yes, which <laughs> you know, it's a little bit geeky, be a little bit music snobbery <laughs> kind of thing, but it's played yeah. for laughs
1: beef our French imports safe um, as
0: milk? Um... Let's see... Ah, yes, here it
1: is. How much you want for it?
0: Ah... Uh, oh no you know what i don't think i'm selling it this week maybe next oh week. no you said that last week did i yeah well i just i i played you know i don't have that record I'll buy it for 40. we're so now why would you sell it to me and not to him because you're not a geek lewis you guys are snob. No, we're not. No, seriously, you're totally elitist. You feel like the unappreciated scholars, so you're shit on the people who know less than you, wow. which is everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's just sad.
2: That's all. Anyway, we, like I mean, we've all met those desperate fans. I possibly been yeah. one at times, but <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, I'm I'm not gonna sell it to you. Not today. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that guy's really good as well. He's like, oh yeah, yeah.
4: no, <laughs> hey, this is what you said last week.
2: Just the way uh, last when Barry says "pussy," <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, that's what I love about that scene with Beverly D'Angelo is the way that Rob dives into those singles, uh, like a proper. You get the feeling he's a proper music fan.
4: Yep, I I believe, I believe, um, Rob in the films that he would offer the correct amount of money for it as well. I yeah. don't believe I don't believe the character in the book as much, um, but yeah. I definitely I definitely believe that John Cusack isn't just walking out there with those records for fifty quid. Yeah, uh, well, fifty bucks or whatever. Um, that makes sense to me as as for him, but in the book, he'd been an irredeemable shit, and then he goes and all of a sudden is like, oh, I don't want to do this to this guy, and I'm like. He's even more of an irredeemable shit because he's sticking up for the shitbag. bag. Yeah. I'm like, rob the guy, take everything, yeah. give her 50 quid and walk. You know what I mean? Like,
2: I said, if if he asked his wife to sell his stuff while he's on holiday with his mistress, he's yeah. kind of asking for it anyway. I
4: exactly. mean,
2: I, I know it sounds like we're shitting on the book and we're not. I really like Nick Hornby. Um, I like About a Boy, a um, couple of other books that he's read. Generally prefer the film adaptations, but. I think Nick Hornb is slightly the age behind me, if that makes sense. Yeah, but it doesn't yeah. quite relate to me. It'd be interesting somebody read the book first and then came to the film.
4: Yeah, I'd be interested to see that I, to see how they'd feel on it. Yeah,
2: but I just, yeah, I mean, and it's in the book as well that it's like really far into it, mm-hmm. that you start getting the of the thing that's, well, you know, the thing that everybody remembers about it, which is the yeah. getting in touch with his exes.
4: Yeah, it's like 20 chapters in or something yeah. like that. It's ridiculous. Whereas like he starts off right away at the start of the
2: film. Yeah, because before the book starts, you get the five relationships, don't you? And then it goes into the actual book. If I remember rightly.
3: Uh... And
2: then, later, then he does his top five list and then works through them about twenty pages in. But the I know the first Maybe. No, I've still got the book here. I've got the book and I've got the script. Oh, I think yeah, so. Yeah, it, it begins with him listing his all time top five desert island most memorable breakups or split ups. Yes.
4: Yeah, Whereas like this starts with the line that's like halfway through the book, What came first, the music of the
2: misery. Yeah. yeah, Just such a great opening. Oh I mean such a great opening line.
4: Amazing. Uh, I'll just uh, cue this point up now, Stuart. You just shove that clip in right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, get that, you get clip that clip that not in. on YouTube for me to grab. Exactly. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I'll have to reenact uh... it myself. What came first, the
1: music or the misery? People worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos. Some sort of culture of violence will take them over. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music?
2: <laughs> I love my like, dog face, and I don't mean that in horror just a hang dog face look on his yeah. face. Yep. <laughs> We've all been there. Just, it is the weirdest thing to do, isn't it, when you break up with somebody, is just start listening to sad songs. Yep. Yep. It's like you want to <laughs> get kicked in the bollocks repeatedly.
4: <laughs> yep. Oh, everybody loves a bit of um, wallowing in self-pity, with yeah. shit like that. And just sitting there constantly listening to, like, uh, I don't know, uh, whiter shade of pale on repeat, or something like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> So, I just I, just makes me think of fucking Michael Scott in the office listening to the the, the clip on iTunes of um, Goodbye My Lover by James <laughs> Blunt over and over again but not actually paying for the track
2: <laughs> I suppose with the 13 floor elevator song that he is listening to it's a bit more of a you're gonna miss me fuck you kind yeah. of I do love the if you really wanted to mess me up you should have got to me earlier
4: there's so many the great window. little lines
2: in this. yeah which again, I think, if it had been, if it wasn't John Cusack, I think it would have been a very different film. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying that man. nobody else could have played it this way, but I think John Cusack is like perfect casting for this.
4: If you were to, if you were to recast the film, who would you put in each role from that time as well?
2: Ooh, from that time,
4: who could you have seen doing the uh, See, doing I- Rob?
2: I- I honestly don't know because he is. It's one of those things. It's a, to the point where I imagine with the TV series they were like, "Make him a girl."
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because how can we perfect on that? Yeah. I mean, the temptation would be to bring him <clears> back <throat> over to this country
4: and That's cast true. it that way. That's genuinely what I thought they were going to do when they said that they were going to remake it, was yeah. that they were just going to put it in London. Um, and believe it or not, when I saw it was Zoe Kravitz, I thought, like, oh, is that going to be... She's
2: going to she's going to be British. But I wasn't. Because Colin Firth in Fever Pitch is pretty much the same character. It's just football and yeah. slight variation on it. I mean, Nick Hornby, certainly in those first three books, Fever Pitch, High Fidelity, and About a Boy, is essentially the same character, just with yeah. different... You
4: know, well, I think I think how it would be good's kind of the same character as well. Except yeah. it's a, it's it's a woman. Um, I t- Pfft, Hornby's a weird one. It's a his 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 writing's just strange in that sense, in in the sense that he is stuck in a, a certain generation. Definitely, yeah. the way he writes, the way he writes, especially he's stuck in a certain generation. It is he is still of that that lad FHM ilk, definitely.
2: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I suppose there's other writers that are guilty of it as well. But oh
4: god, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he's bad at it. No, no, no. That's it. It's and he, he he brings a certain honesty to it as well. And he's he's clearly trying to kind of almost satirize those kind of things as well. But I think to a degree, it doesn't work. It almost like glamorizes it as opposed to satirizing it.
2: I suppose to a certain degree it's a bit like slice of life honest comics to go yeah, for something yeah, yeah, that we've yeah. got a reference to is that you're very yeah. much put in a shine on it that you're like, you know, yeah, I was this horrible person but love me anyway kind of thing, or you know yeah. there's I bits. will show you this side of the honesty of my depression not the side where I'm a complete and total absolute fucking monster
4: yeah, exactly there's bits of this when I was watching reminded me of like Jeffrey Brown comics or whatever Um, it's that slice of life kind of thing and the guy that's at the record store and stuff like that I was sitting going like oh I can see where Jeffrey Brown's picked up influence with us, yeah. you know um, that's where
2: it kind of works with the Penny bit as horrible as it is it feels honest Yeah, and even yeah. the bit with Sarah, where he doesn't have the heart to have the conversation and he says that he feels guilty about it, but he's also like, I could have had sex back there. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and that's why people don't like that character, because he is a bit of a bastard. Yeah. He's a lot of a bastard, to be fair. Um, but I... Not necessarily... Obviously, it's an extreme version of it, but there is an element of truth in it as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know? Yeah. I think any bloke that hasn't been in a situation and thought you could actually get some (laughs) sexier in like the most inappropriate thing. It's like it's like when he has that whole thing about you know I've invented him an image of a sensitive nice guy because I'm in a position Mm. to do so. Yeah, Laura's really good as well. They cast Mm -hmm. her perfectly. I've not seen her in anything else. I think she's popped him in a couple of things I've seen, but I've not registered that it's her. Mostly in Sandy. Noir thinks now, isn't she? No.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I was misremembering who she was. Um, I don't know why, but in my head, I had Daryl Hannah. Okay. And it wasn't until I saw her, I was like, of course it's not Daryl Hannah. And then I thought, but I'd be forgiven for thinking it was Daryl Hannah.
2: See, I always thought she was the Run, roll, run Lola Run one, but that's the born identity. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girl, um, the one who plays Marie, who's the actress's name's gone from my head, unfortunately. But she's great. But she's, she's so lovable in this. I love when it cuts, flashes back to her first meeting Rob and the early stages of their relationship. Like when he's whispering mm-hmm. in her ear at the, talking to her in her ear at the bar, and she's laughing. She's got a genuine full body. Yeah, you can see why he falls in love with her.
4: It's like you say, mate. There's no small parts in this at all. And, like, and the they're... grin she
2: gives when she set up the um, record release party. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Barry is putting just that way. She like cracks a smile at him.
4: <laughs> I love but, that she did that as well, then she set it all up and stuff. It was amazing. She actually, she her crying at the funeral was really convincing yeah. to the point that it it cracks me near enough every time I see it, and it because 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 he's reacting to it as well. I'm sitting going like, Christ, like this is really effective. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: I, I love um, the way he apologises to her as well. Yeah, I know. The way he watches two people apologise, but then he gives a very different apology. Yeah. Um, yep. And obviously it then builds into that most of the time thing, and I love it's that amazing line of you know, always had one foot out the door and that suicide by tiny, tiny increment. Such yeah. a great line.
4: It is. So good. I'll tell you though, see when he jumps that fence into the flower bed and gets covered in the fucking dirt though, Honestly, every part of me is going like, don't let him get in that car. <laughs> <laughs> every time I do
2: that's going to ruin your seats.
4: Exactly. <laughs> Especially if she's having sex with him. I'm like, oh my god.
2: He yeah, This is going to be some gritty dirt. Yeah. Ew. It's when he's got it on his hands and it's just dripping down the fence. He's like bah! flicking great big clumps of mud off him. And...
4: Although to be fair, it's, it's raining that heavy that he could just stand there for an extra like 5-10 minutes. Yeah, he could clean. wash
2: clean. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I know it flags up a bit more in the book, but it's always been a bit weird. Like, my dad used to bring me here. to have sex.
3: Yeah. I, yeah, I know he odd. flags it up
2: a bit more in the book, but it's kind of, it's kind of Although I do love the line of, like, you know, unless you to stub cigarettes out. I know like, I've got a few left, and I'm saving them for like... later.
3: <laughs>
2: it's such a great little line. but so And then beautiful. I love when they get back together as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. her moving back in, just his whole thing, and then you know, see the Natra- Natasha Gregson-Wagner bit, which she looks great in this film as well.
4: Yeah, not does. again,
2: not to be like a lechie, but again, I can see why he's instantly like you know, she's into music. She looks, she's really attractive.
4: I love that she picked Instant up practicing. on it. I love that she like Laura picks up on it straight away. Oh, because you were making that mixtape yeah. for that journalist, and I'm like. Yeah, because she's not an idiot. You know what I mean, like she's not looking. Oh yeah, here he goes. You know what I mean, like he's like, no, it's just, just I was just being an idiot. Like I was just being wistful. I just wanted to do something nice. You know what I mean? It's like
2: Jesus. It is it's that thing, and it's like he says he got everything he ever wanted. Yeah, it's a certain self-destructive thing in your head. It's kind of like I'm gonna fuck this up for myself. I know I am. Yep. But, and I love this whole thing about, you know I've been listening to my gut since I was thirteen years old and I've come to the conclusion my guts have got shit for brains because <laughs> <laughs> as some of these guts have got shit for brains yeah um his yeah. proposals really good as well. I love a reaction with the um you know that's the most romantic thing I've ever heard I do I yeah <laughs> <laughs> but just that wonderful sweet way of I thought asking was the important thing you know, yeah asked And then, yeah, we Jack Black's big shining moment of singing, let's get it on. So, I do like the way he perks up when he realizes he can sing. Yep. After his half hearted introduction to Sonic Death Monkey.
4: (laughs) What I did like, what I do like about it, and I think it's hilarious as well, is that Jack Black is just winging it on that lyrics from what he can kind of remember because he says sugar about 40 times at the start (laughs) of that song. Um, and now don't get me wrong that song has like a baby or a honey or something like that in amongst it or something but he just every instance throws in a sugar at the end of it understand me sugar yeah sugar like sugar (laughs) I'm sitting going like he is winging this he is totally winging this and even like he says a couple of the lines just slightly wrong that they don't make sense but because of the way he's singing it it's fine It it doesn't matter but I'm also going like, they really just shoved him on a stage with a band and went, right, sing the song. Yeah. Cameras rolling, here we go. And they knew he would do it because of the kind of guy that he is. You know I mean? Yeah, because he was, was already just...
2: in Tenacious D at that point, wasn't he? It's... Yeah, he was. So yeah. He'd been doing the comedy music. Him and, um, him and Kyle have been doing um,
4: They've been doing uh, Tenacious D for a lot longer yeah. than people think. A lot longer than people think. People yeah, think... It was, uh,
2: it was sort of when Jack Black hit big that Tenacious D back about 2003? thousand and three, that album came yeah. out, wasn't it? Yeah, but
4: the but the TV series had been going before yeah. that. Um, because There's some
2: great pe- band names in this, you got you know on the verge of being Kathleen Turner overdrive. I like that Vince and Justin call themselves the Kinky Wizards. Yeah, <laughs> such <laughs> a two thousand name for a <laughs> act as well.
4: The name of their is it the name of their album as well as something like
2: I stole my grandma's wheelchair. Yeah, that's. <laughs>
4: So good! I love that they're still nicking records from yeah. at the end as well.
2: Oh, he's got has this Charlie Brown top on as well.
4: Yes, I, I saw that. Like it was something that I massively spotted. I was like, "Oh, it's amazing!" <laughs> but the stuff that they nick, he he is right when he's like, "Well, you stealing this for somebody else." He's like, "No, yeah. it's for us." They're like
2: bullshit. <laughs> I do like that change from the book that it's he puts a record out rather than he just. Reopens the Groucho night, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really I think they stretch me- a little bit the dance music for old people in the film, yeah. But I suppose it kind of works with the triumphant return of DJ Rob Gordon.
4: Yeah, it kind of it kind of bugs me with the the Groucho thing in the book because there is well there was a record shop in Dundee for the longest time called Groucho's, um, and it was in a Center, a shopping center in Dundee. I think long before High Fidelity came out as well. So when he's talking about the Groucho and oh, it's called the Groucho because it's, you know, I wouldn't want to be part of a club that have me as a member or all this kind of stuff. I'm going like, yeah, that's that's the record shop that's in town. You know what <laughs> I mean, like you just <laughs> totally taken away from it. I mean, it was like my favorite record shop. But at the same point, like I just there was a disconnect there. Yeah. Uh, so then, the film just has the club night and stuff, which is like there we go. That's more like it. and they and the putting out the the try the CD on the label and stuff. Yeah. You know I mean? It was a good change. The changes that were made in this film were incredible, and it's one of the very few circumstances where moving something to America has made it better. Yeah, <clears throat> <clears throat> definitely.
2: Yeah, because I know there was a lot of kickback at the time about of taking course. it to America. <clears throat> taking, oh, this thinking very, we... taking this very British thing, and mm-hmm. but I think he's in an interview met... with Stephen Frears where he's like, "They knew all the places. Yeah, they knew what to swap it out for. Mm-hmm. It's like they they had it in their head. They read as they read the book. They knew where that would be the equivalent of in Chicago and that. Um,
4: I I noticed Hornby had like nothing to do with it. I know they the truth...
2: there was a Guardian piece for the twentieth where they spoke to, or it might have been more recently than that. They spoke to Frears, Cusack, and Hornby about it. I think he knows yep. that they just like bought the rights off him and he let him go. Yep,
4: yep. they optioned it, and that was it. Yeah, is nothing else. He had no input on the script. Nothing to do with production. No writing credit. No nothing. It was just like based on a book by. That's it. And I don't me wrong just... in the
2: film's favor. To be honest, I think sometimes yeah. you get the original author involved. You can end up either changing Oof. it too much because the author's like. Don't do the book. Do this.
4: Yeah, there is there is loads of incidents incidences of that recently, uh, with like the kind of YA um, uh, authors and stuff, where they've all been brought on board to be involved with the option pictures and stuff, and it's just went horribly wrong. Um, yeah, I, I know
2: it's not a great thing to begin with, but I know that certainly with like E. L. James with the Fifty Shades. Yes, she was more involved with the later movies, and the first movie was not well received, but yeah, better received than the two follow-ups that El James took more control over. I can't, I,
4: th- I can't say, I can't say anything because they're, they're, they're not good films. But I absolutely no. fucking love them, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why. I actually, I absolutely adore them. I've um, not seen but them to be
2: fair. I've, I've read bits of the book. When we had them at HMV, it was a challenge to like read a paragraph with a straight face.
4: Books are shit. Yeah. Utter shit. Can't read them. Can't read them for, for dick. They're awful. Um but I just I love Dakota Johnson and uh, uh Jamie Dornan Yeah. Like they're just great actors, so I'll watch anything that they're doing.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's fair enough. It's <laughs> but yeah, I just they've never appealed to me even enough to casually yeah. watch. I've watched a bit of Wand It's like the Thomas Crane affair with more fucking
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you're right in the sense of like her being involved and stuff. And there was that um, film franchise after has just went through like multiple like bad dealings and stuff because the author was involved and it wasn't involved, and then some directors got involved and then they weren't involved, and the authors back in again, and oh, it's just. It's madness, and it yeah. all stems. It all stems from them having too much involvement in the first place.
2: I, I think the Hornby way is right of just take the money and let them do their thing.
4: Yeah, I think um, you can either go
2: full Alan Moore and be kind of like just take my name off it completely. Yeah, or what? embrace it and be thank you know be happy when people come to the books off the back of it. Or...
4: Yeah, exactly. I think uh, I can, I'm not entirely sure, but I think Colleen Hoover is like that as well. I think she's optioned a couple of her films to get made recently, and she's just like went there, there they are. See you later. Yeah. Um, which that's the best way to be, although maybe not the best for some of her stuff, considering it's all been shut down due to the writer's stri- strike. Strike. Well, but hey ho. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but that's a, that's the a topic for another time. Um. But yeah, just you're right in the sense that I think sometimes when they get too mired in it and they they end up getting involved and in it, it just kind of muddies the waters a bit too much. And I think in a way, like for good or for ill, I think like you say with Alan Moore, I think that's kind of worked in that favor as well. yeah in the sense that he can distance himself from the work and then the film can become its own thing entirely even though it's based on his stuff, you know what I mean?
2: Well, it, because that already exists. I'd much rather see a reinterpretation than an adaptation. Yeah. As much as it is sometimes when you're reading a book and you know they're making a film of it, like, this is going to look really cool in a film. Yeah. But it's never going to look as good as you pitched it in your head. No, exactly. So, exactly. just and to be fair, if you want to do an actual proper adaptation of a book, you need to do it as a TV series, generally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Not generally enough in a two-hour film to fit a book in. Like I say, there's so yeah. much of this book that's cut out.
1: What did Laura mean last night when she said, I haven't slept with him yet. Yet. What does yet mean anyway? It means you're going to do it, doesn't it? Or does it? Just come on. What would it mean to you, that sentence? I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet.
0: Well, to me, it would mean that you're a liar. You've seen it twice. Once with Laura. Oops. And once with me and Dick, remember? We had that conversation about the guy making Beretta shotgun ammo off screen in the 14th century. Right. All right, but let's just say that I hadn't seen it. And I said to you,
1: I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. What would you think? I'd think that you're a cinematic idiot and I'd feel sorry for you. All right, but from that one sentence, would you think
0: that I was going to see it? I'm sorry, Rob, I'm struggling here. You're asking me what would I think if you told me you hadn't seen a film that you have already seen, what am I supposed to say? Just listen to me. If I said to you... I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. Yes.
1: Would you get the impression that I really wanted to see it?
0: Oh, uh... Well, you couldn't have been desperate to see it, otherwise you'd have already gone.
1: Right. I'm not going to see that movie. But the word
0: yet. Yeah, you know what? I get the impression that you wanted to see it. Otherwise, you'd have said you didn't want to go. But in your opinion, would I definitely go? How the fuck am I supposed to know? Probably. Why? Because it's a brilliant film. It's so funny and violent and the soundtrack kicks fucking ass. I never thought I'd say this, but can I go work now?
4: Yeah, I'm going to ask you a couple of top fives uh, before... Uh, we kind of wrap things up a wee bit. Um, so I'm going to say top five movie breakups.
2: Ooh, I mean, this. <laughs> <laughs> All five in this. <laughs> <laughs> I think 500 Days of Summer has got a really good breakup in it. Mm-hmm. Um, It's not so much a breakup, but Jerry Maguire getting fired in Jerry Maguire is a really good breakup scene.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, yeah.
2: You know. Take in losing your job as a breakup. (laughs) There's a really good one in... Have you seen the film Singles?
4: Oh, no. no. There's
2: one where she's talking about a guy who dumped her on a roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good one as well. (laughs) The breakup scene in Say Anything, going back to John Cusack, again, is really good, where she gives him a pen. That's a really good breakup scene.
4: Yeah. God, it's been years since I've seen that.
2: Again, that's another film I adore. Cameron yeah. Crowe and it's John Cusack. I yeah, Ioni yeah. Sky. I love Ioni Sky.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Massive crush on Ioni Sky. Yeah, so probably those. There's probably others out there that, but off the top of my head, uh, there's probably some really dark breakup scenes as well. But I'm not in a
4: dark. There is, space. yeah, there is some very dark ones. I think a, a good funny one is forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, With him coming in and going, "I've got a surprise
3: yeah. for you," <laughs> and it's just the
4: it's, the whole thing of his dick fucking swinging from side to side slapping him out and then her saying that they're going to break up and I'm just dropping the towel and being bollock naked. Hilarious. <laughs>
2: the breakup in Nine Hills is pretty good as well. Yes. I mean, it's more of an hissy fit though, so it's not, but yeah. sort of the aftermath of it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not always necessarily the breakup, it's the aftermath of the breakup. Yeah, Any of yeah. breakup in that.
4: Oh god, yeah. Okay, mate. Um, I'm gonna ask you um, the typical thing of uh, Would you want to see a sequel made of this if they made one?
2: I don't know if I want to see a sequel. I quite happily visit these characters again.
4: Okay, but well, they, they already did a remake, so we, we've kind of answered. Yeah. That, anyway. um, would you want to just see a continuation of that? Oh you you said that you Again I was this, quite happy with done. how that ended. Yeah. I
2: quite like uh open ended ending. Even this one, it feels like I say, this feels more positive than the book. I feel that Rob and Laura would have stayed together with this, but Yeah. There is
4: there like is say, left open.
2: It, a bit like um Roger Ebert says in his thing about, you know, you'd like to meet these people out in the real world kind of thing after the film. Yeah. I'd love to check in with these guys, but I don't want to see a story. Yeah. But at the same time I don't want to know. I like my headcanon. Mm-hmm. They're still together. The record took off for a little while. It gave them enough money to be able to just keep the shop afloat. Yeah. They had kids. Maybe eventually he stepped back from the shop. They moved out to the suburbs and had a nice boring that... life like the rest of us have.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: it's always that thing isn't it? Of, it's like I watched Barbie at the weekend. I'm like, this film made so much money, I know they're going to make a second one, but it does not need a second movie. Mm. There's, there's no shame in a one-and-done film. Do you
4: think they're like, going to make
2: a second one? I, I, if it makes enough money. Remember when Joker was going to be a standalone movie? That's it would true. Never get a sequel. Then it made like a billion dollars. I mean, they kind of, with Gross Point Blank, didn't make a sequel, but they made that war Inc. It was mm. like a spiritual sequel. And it yeah. was... I was so excited for it. It was this team back together Steve Pink, DVDC, Diviso, and whatever Div is, sorry, um, and John Cusack all back together. Yeah. And it was such a letdown. Yeah. It was such a, it felt like it was trying hard to cap- recapture that magic. And I, I think this film is lightning in a bottle. There's been films that are similar to this that don't feel oh, the same.
4: There's a lot of like spiritual successors after yeah. this, one hundred percent. There's far too many that have taken influence from this and made something around it. I would I would argue that Five Hundred Days of Summer takes a lot from it.
2: Yeah, I I would argue that the film I made is quite guilty of being yeah spiritually just in a comic shop instead.
4: Yeah, um, I feel like I feel like a lot of people kind of took that influence from probably Hornby on a whole, but. I mean, this film came out at a good time that a lot of the films of like the 2012s, 2013, stuff like that would have been made with people having seen High Fidelity. Yeah. And then and then came along and did it, you know. And like I say, that, you know, that Adam Brody film as well, it, it was essentially just that part of High Fidelity, but just extended across an hour and a half, you know.
2: Yeah. What's well, it? because um, this didn't make massive amounts of money. In the grand nope. scheme of things, but I think it had a cultural. I think it possibly did better on DVD. I was so excited for the DVD coming out that I bought it on day of release.
4: That's I think a I paid that's,
2: twenty quid for the DVD for the H and exclusive one because it had the white cover instead of the red one. Yeah, um, that's
4: a lot. That's a lot for um, for two thousand though. Yeah, um, especially for a thirty million dollar yeah, film.
2: Essentially, now would be an indie film.
4: Yeah, to make like seventeen million over its budget
2: and i think off um, the back of this we got about a boy yeah the film they remade fever pitch mm-hmm. with jimmy fallon and drew brown which is fine oh yeah so they did and, uh, the perfect catch wasn't it they called it yeah um i forgot about that and we forgot that adap- that was that was we had the adaptation years later of long way down with pierce brosnan and aaron paul and Tim aaron Collette.
3: paul yeah
2: Trying to think what bits we're on. I love the I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. I love yeah. the overthinking that word yet because, again, we've all done it. I still do it. <laughs> I still like I've sent a text messaging on did that come across the way it came across in my head? <laughs> Basically, the same thing
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> those little things that you, um, I love when Laura's convincing him to do the thing, you know him the professional appreciator putting something out in the world and then he mangles it completely repeating it to in his newspaper interview yeah (laughs) stealing it as his own words and just completely fucking it up (laughs) oh Um, dear yeah it's just such a grief. I love the shop I love his apartment I love that he describes it as a shithole I'd live in that (laughs) shithole it's quite roomy (laughs) so um, good that's you can't believe film. as well that it's representative of somebody who owns a rep- record shop that apartment it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not like Charlie's apartment that's like nice and studio and.
4: no it's got like an odd bit as you come into the door that sort of leads you up yeah. all the records as you're coming in Then into more records sort of thing
2: that'd be like me with DVDs and comics
4: yeah <laughs> It's like that, I don't think I've got that many DVDs anymore, and yet a friend of mine came around the other day and walked into the garage and went, Oh, nice collection of DVDs. And I've been like, what? and in my head, I'm doing the whole thing of like, This is nothing, like you know, and I'm, I'm doing the whole, I can't, can't believe this. This, this, this is like a minimal amount. How many DVDs do you have then? If this is like this whole thing, but it comes out as Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: See, I got so many, I had to take the discs out and put them in wallets and put the cases up in the loft.
4: Yeah, I remember you saying that. So I, got, I, got that's... I got a
2: shitload and I've got Blu-rays now that I've got no room on the shelves, so I've got two stacks in front of the t- TV of Blu-rays.
4: Speaking of, um, speaking of exes with this film, an ex of mine did that, took all of the DVDs out and put them into a folder for her um, dad. And then made a book that was um telling them what was on what slide of the of yeah. the wallet. So it was like page one is this film, this film, this film, this film. So they had two separate things for organizing <laughs> the, the DVDs. And I was like, just keep them in the cases and put them in alphabetical <laughs> order. And put them over there in that big giant space, or that cupboard there, where there's like no, 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 no. This is neater, and like, and then they take all that weird easy.
2: minimalist thing, like those fucking Nick Nolte, Nick Nick Nolte, Nick Knowles programs, where he's like you know, <laughs> Nick oh, <Nol-ty>. <laughs> I'd watch the Nick Nolte one, where Nick <laughs> Knowles or Stacy Wasserface comes to your house, and if you chuck away fifty percent of your stuff, they'll do the house the house up for you. And yeah, it's always yeah. the Do you need all these DVDs? Like, yes, I fucking do. Just doesn't make not sound I, I see that? This weird shame of owning physical media, especially now that the streaming services are been like, Yeah, we're deleting that and you'll never see it again. Exactly. Well, well, that was the whole lie about streaming, wasn't it? Is that it'll be there forever.
3: Yeah. You, you nah. don't
2: need your physical media anymore because I know you don't ever technically own physical media either. If Bob Iger wants to come around and take your Disney collection back up in off you, he keeps perfectly within his right to. He? Eh? You don't ever actually own a DVD if you read the small print on the back. <laughs> so if like Stephen Frears or whoever owns High Fidelity wants to come round and take it back off you and say we're deleting this, they could go house to house and take everybody's copy. They'd be legally within their right to. Jesus. It's just, it's far too much effort to go. Can you imagine going door to door? Do you want any of the following films? Kind of like, <laughs> well, that's mental. I can't believe that. But. Uh, yeah, it's that. same with music as well. I think they're perfectly within their right to come and take your CDs back off you. You never actually yeah, own can, it. You're essentially some, just in it.
4: I can, uh, I can, I can tell you my best American draw. They can try and come and take it if they want. They're <laughs> <laughs> and and put up a fight. To pry <laughs> it from
2: my cold dead hands.
4: Yeah, from my cold dead hands. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. That that ain't happening.
2: Yeah, Steve like say, it, it, it would never happen. <laughs> yeah,
4: Stephen, if you're listening, mate, come and try and take high fidelity <laughs> off of me. I dare you. <laughs> you do not have my
2: DVD, my Blu-ray, or my Disney Plus version. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
4: None of it. But... It's good that it is good that it's available on Disney Plus, though. I was quite surprised because obviously you do the cursory uh, look up on. The Amazon Fire Stick or whatever, just to see because it automatically comes up with where it is. And I was really surprised to see it come up and say Disney Plus. I
2: was like, oh, nice. Yes, yeah, it's because there's a Touchstone movie in so, yeah, 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 yeah. I missed yeah, that little Touchstone thing going across the bottom of the screen.
4: Ding. <laughs> um, it always reminds me of Boy Meets World. Yeah. That's when Boy Meets World finished. That was how it ended every episode.
2: But it's the only downside of the Disney Plus is it hasn't got those great deleted scenes on, which I generally will always watch the deleted scenes if I put the yeah. disc in as well. Yeah. And it hasn't got the interviews. It's a shame there's not more bonus stuff on that, but at the same time, the less I know, mm. the better sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, it was part of the appeal of that Evening with John Cusack thing, which, like I say, was... I know some people moaned about it afterwards. I was I like, just happy I got to see John Cusack in real life for 40 minutes.
4: Yeah, that's true.
2: That's true. I, I didn't realize it? that MG, when you book your tickets, meant you could get a meet and greet ticket. But at the same time, I was kind of do I really need to meet and greet him? Yeah. I was true. for a photo with him that he really doesn't want to be in. Yeah. They, they walked around with signs being like, don't take any photos. So I didn't. Oh. But then everybody else was just going like, let's get photos of him on stage. I, was like, I don't know why <laughs> we couldn't take photos of him on stage. It's not like he was doing anything controversial. Like,
4: Sounds like it was... with his dick
2: hanging out or anything. Yeah, exactly.
4: Sounds like the Sixteenth uh, Cha- uh, Chapel, the Sistine Chapel. The whole don't take any photos. Everybody fucking cameras up, yeah. taking photos. I get <laughs> anyway. it when the film's
2: on because you know that's illegal. But yeah. at the same time, though, I probably wouldn't have taken a photo anyway because it would have taken me out of the moment. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'd have got the wife to take a photo. <laughs> 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 but I'll just wait till other people put theirs online and grab those instead. It's but... not the
4: kind of, it's not the kind of thing that um Rob would approve of, is it? No. I realized <laughs> I
2: didn't I didn't ask the question back to you of like what are your memories of firstly in the film.
4: I think uh, we were, I was debating with you before we before we actually started. I was debating of what age I was when I saw it, if it was like fourteen, fifteen. I'm sure I was like fourteen, fifteen. And it was friends of mine, old friends of mine that reminded me of Barry that were like, you need to watch this film. It's like a manly (laughs) rom-com. So everything that we said that was fucking bad and wrong of of like calling it a brom-com or whatever and people reminding you of Barry, and like this is how I was introduced to it. But I watched it and was like, this is nothing like what you guys said this is so much better like this is unbelievable but it was somebody else's copy at a house whilst they're all sitting around smoking eating pizza and drinking beer you know what I mean yeah. and I'm I'm straight edge sitting with a packet of crisps <laughs> watching this thing being like engrossed while they're all chatting being like shut the fuck up you know what I mean <laughs> like, sure. um, it was just incredible and I think at the time when I watched it as well I was going through a breakup um and was just, like, completely enamoured with it. Yeah. Um. And then I've just, since then, always owned a copy, which I got from Groucho's, from the record <laughs> shop. Um. I went to the record shop, went to Groucho's, because they sold DVDs and stuff as well. And at that time, it was actually relatively expensive to get DVDs still, even secondhand at that point. Um. And I went in, and it just so happened that somebody had... Either accidentally or not, stuck it in the pound section. No, nice. That's so I got it. I got it for a quid, and I think the guy behind the counter was very bent out of shape at the fact that I'd got it in the pound section. Yeah, because he did not look best pleased when I, I brought it up. It was almost like a <laughs> fuck you. Like this wasn't meant to be here, but he
2: did it anyway. Um, so at least he honoured it. Like I say, mine was twenty quid. Bought the oof. HV exclusive on the morning before I went to work, then washed it when I got home from work.
3: But... Yeah.
2: My assistant I, manager at HMV would always interview people and go, in the interview, was like, working here is not going to be like High Fidelity it's not going to be like Empire <laughs> Records.
4: <laughs> that's how I, that's, I think that, that wasn't what was mentioned in my interview for HMV, but it was uh, something along the lines of, we don't, what was it? We don't sit spinning decks all day or something like that. <laughs> I was like, I didn't expect you to. I was like, I've literally just walked past a whole rack of Doctor Dre Beats headphones. I didn't exactly expect it to be spinning records <laughs> all day.
3: <laughs> it's it was stuck. a given,
4: given Beats headphones to walk around with all day on my neck. I'm like, no, I, I know it's not going to be
2: like having no. LA. No, <laughs> there, there is elements of it in that you know you do get to listen to. Different music that you wouldn't listen to, and you get different people going like, "No, this is this, and this is why you should like this," and yeah, yeah. or not why you should like it, but you know why I like it, why it's good, kind of why this is bad.
4: There was loads more gamers in our HMV than there was like music people. The only music guy that was there was like massively into Smashing Pumpkins, and it's just when they'd done the anniversary release of like the big box sets of all the. Pumpkins albums, like the the classic Pumpkins albums. And so he was just playing them on repeat every morning and every night. Um and uh what was the other thing? Yeah, the manager was like hardcore into like insane trance music. But like dirty trance music. Yeah. So it'd be first thing in first thing, six o'clock and like uh Tuesday morning and he's like, oh, come in early and stock up with us. I'm like, okay. And he's listening to stuff that's like, fuck me, baby, round and round.
2: I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> See, our music guy had been there for like 20 years. Yeah. Possibly at the age where he was too old to be working in HMB. at that point. But... <laughs> yeah, but still. <laughs> but he was in management, lower management, but still management yeah. within the store. But you don't get that knowledge anymore. That's what I yeah. like about those sort of shops.
4: You d- you don't get that knowledge. No anymore, job you see in a
2: film is like what it is in real life anyway.
4: No. But... No, not at all. Not in the slightest.
2: I mean if um... if you're an architect based on being in a film, you'd never do any fucking work. You'd be out like solving crimes or whatever it is architects.
4: <laughs> exactly. You'd be like Ted and How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. It never works. <laughs> does it does, does like five hours of work and then makes a building. <laughs> um, but yeah, the no, no, no jobs. You're right. No jobs are like that. But well, any job
2: looks cool in a five minute segment in a film. Yeah, because <laughs> you're just seeing the cool bits of it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but but no, like I say I I do love this film. I loved it since I first saw it. Yeah, I've never wavered on it as well. There was a point where I was watching it like most days. I've got. I've seen this film at least two hundred times.
4: I was going to Not say, how world. many times? How many times do you think you've watched it?
2: Oh, when I was really depressed, I was watching it on a daily basis to the point where my wife was coming in and she's like, "Are you watching this fucking film again?" But <laughs> like, yeah, it's my comfort movie. I've got a couple of comfort movies, and this is one of
4: them. because <laughs> he
2: goes through like a dark period, and then it ends happily. It's quite a nice one when you're feeling depressed, or
4: yeah, it's true.
2: You get to wallow in your own self pity, and then. Come out, you know, with a hopeful feeling at the end. Yeah, even if you know it's all I, Hollywood bullshit lies. Sometimes I you somete- need the Hollywood bullshit lie.
4: Yeah, exactly. I sometimes think that. I think probably, I've probably watched five hundred days, five hundred days of summer as much as you've probably watched High Fidelity, and yet that's not really a come out the other side. <laughs> cleaner that's a i've not learned my lesson <laughs> yeah
2: yeah 500 days of summers are weird one. again yeah. i think there's two kinds of people who watch this film there's those who like the dickhead rob
3: yeah oh god yeah
2: and relate to that and there's mm-hmm. those that actually which Want hopefully to see him grow. Is what i feel i in is to relate to the growth and the journey he mm-hmm. goes on yep and hopefully you know with imperfections, see myself on the other side of it. Because again, he comes out the other side of it, but he's still not perfect. Yeah. He still has the fantasies and the mind wanders and but he just realizes that it is the fantasy.
4: Those folks that I knew that introduced me to the film were very much a oh she's such a bitch. Like the whole way through it. Like every time, like any time somebody showed up, oh she's such a bitch, I she's hot the way well I'm sitting going, What? Like (laughs) what what You've missed the point of this film entirely.
2: (laughs) Again, it's the whole 500 Days of Summer thing, isn't it? She makes it clear several times that that's not what she wants. Yep. And I was guilty of it the first time. I was like, he's such a cold bitch. Partly because I was putting my own stuff onto it as well.
4: Yep. I think everybody makes that mistake with that film. Everyone. Because the guy... When I told somebody that I worked with that I really love 500 Days of Summer... He was like right on it, like oh amazing film, blah blah, blah. and then he was like she's such a bitch, though, is Blah blah blah, and then it was like, I think it was two, maybe three years later. I was I was back in the place I'd like left for a long time, but I still spoke to this guy, and he was like, oh, I've I've got to go back on what I said about five hundred days of summer. By the way, he's like. Total change of perspective. I was like, Yes, yeah, so do I.
2: <laughs> I think that's kind of the G. Ge- I know we've done in a whole episode on that film already. Yeah, exactly. I think that is the genius of that film is that you do root with him and see it very much through his eyes on first viewing. Mm-hmm. A bit yeah. like when you look back on a relationship, we're like, She was such a bitch to me. And then you start thinking back on it a bit more, like, She was she. And like yeah. I say, it's a bit like the Charlie thing with this. Yeah, exactly. You erase the bits that don't suit your narrative.
4: Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's funny though because I do see these two films on a par. Yeah, definitely. I I think both of them are kind of rated in this in the same in the same sphere for me. Um,
2: no, I agree with that in... I. Five hundred days of summer was my new high fidelity for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so much in that I liked it as much, and I've never gone to five hundred days of summer as much as I've gone to high fidelity, but looking for that next high fidelity type movie that next my next favourite movie if that makes sense yeah that little gem that just comes from nowhere that I wasn't expecting yeah
1: top five things I miss about Laura one sense of humour very dry but it can also be warm and forgiving and she's got one of the best all time laughs in the history of all time laughs she laughs with her entire body two she's got character or at least she had character before the Ian nightmare she's loyal and honest, and she doesn't even take it out on people when she's having a bad day. That's character. Three. I miss her smell and the way she tastes. It's a mystery of human chemistry and I don't understand it. Some people, as far as your senses are concerned, just feel like home. I really dig how she walks around. It's like she doesn't care how she looks or what she projects, and it's not that she doesn't care, it's just she's not affected, I guess. And that gives her grace. And five, she does this thing in bed when she can't get to sleep, she kind of half moans and then rubs her feet together an equal number of times. It just kills me. Believe me, I mean, I could do a top five things about it that drive me crazy, but it's just your garden variety, women, you know, schizo stuff, and that's the kind of thing that got me here
4: right well uh, that was a good therapy a, session that was a good <laughs> therapy session um, if it's okay with you mate seeing how I've got you um, I'm going to ask you the James Lipton Bernard Peeble questionnaire if that's alright awesome yeah. <laughs> Um seeing how you know the shoes on the other other foot and all that jazz this is the, the type of find out with the host Says to, to all this, even though it's my show. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, Mister Mulrain, what is your favorite
2: word? I really like the word solace. I was one of the few people when it was used in a James Bond film title. I, was like, I like that word, <laughs> solace. Nice. I don't know what that says about me. But... <laughs>
4: I say instantaneously I'm just thinking like, I like the word solace I'm about to run away on my own goodbye (laughs) Uh, what is your least favourite
2: word lush
4: oh god I hate that word as well
2: I can mostly accept it in the look at the dewy meadow it looks so lush in that sense it's when it's like oh my god that fucking haircut you've got is well lush (laughs) particularly round here where it's the thick somerset gloucestershire accent i
4: was waiting to say it's that fucking accent oh my god that's well lush i love that
2: (laughs) try try this picardy Breezer. it's well lush
4: (laughs) amazing has anybody ever asked you
2: these questions before by the way uh no i can't remember if we did them on a podcast once before or not but it would have been a long time ago
4: I feel like people have maybe asked you like one or two of them in return, but never actually asked you like the full set.
2: Yeah, I've always been cautious about not giving full answers, agreeing with whatever they say.
4: (laughs) Well, you're you're fucked now. That's it. (laughs) I've got Uh... your answers here. I'm just using them. (laughs) (laughs) What uh, What turns you on, uh, creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Passion. Passion. Oh my like, god, that's
2: like that's every every one of them. No, but like somebody's passion for something. It's like I can yeah, watch yeah, a yeah. documentary on anything if the person's passionate about it.
4: Nice.
2: I I can watch a documentary on stamp collecting if the guy or the girl that's collecting the stamps that they're talking to has a passion for it. Yeah. i yeah. sat through some mm-hmm. weird ass documentaries just because I've been suckered in mm-hmm. how passionate they are for something. <laughs> it's what i like about podcasts when they get the right guests on and they're passionate yeah. about what they do it's like some of the best episodes like nerdist and that is where he talks to people who are passionate about acting or whatever is yeah, they're doing at the moment
4: that's true and some of my least favorite people have ended up being my favorite episodes or something because they're passionate yeah yeah definitely i don't I, i'm not a big massive fan of um uh, Nick Crawl at all, but he he's quite a passionate dude. Yeah. Um, and I really like. I think Adam Buxton spoke to him, and just the way he was talking about like everything, just just about his craft, about um, just his his life in general. Like he's just quite a passionate guy. I was like, oh, I really like this dude. Like he's he's really good. He was quite good. He's quite passionate about how he delivers like impressions and stuff as well. And I was like. Okay. I don't I don't really like him, but I'll give him a pass. Like this yeah, is this is great. like
2: I've always been a Harrison Ford fan and he sort of mellowed recently, but mm. he was so like I mean, there was that famous thing of like, I'm in it for the money. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that really comes across when people talk yeah. to you about what you're doing. <laughs> like I said, he sort of mellowed on certain things over the years, but On the whole, it just felt like a guy who did not want to be there. He just wanted to act, take his money, and fuck off. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Go build a wardrobe or something. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's Mm. fair enough. But Uh, at the same time, just some kind of... Like I say, any sort of passion, interest, that sort of thing.
4: Nice. Uh, What turns you off?
2: I suppose probably the opposite. So, sort of apathy. Yeah which is a major problem with the world now anyway. So many people are apathetic about stuff.
4: Yeah, it's true. Passive apathy is what I
2: would call it, though. Uh, What is your favourite curse word? Uh, I've always liked the Tom Hanks one, which is horseshit. Oh, that's good. It's just got a wonderful sort of horseshit. (laughs) (laughs) That is horseshit. Just because my granddad always used to call us it, and it's not really a swear word, but pillock. Always love pillock as well. <laughs> That's amazing. So so proper swear word would be horseshit. Casual swear word would be pillock.
4: Casual mm-hmm. swear words are the best. Yeah. Like calling some like calling somebody a burk. Yeah. It's so good. You absolute burk. <laughs> uh, I, I heard somebody call somebody a kipper the other day and I just thought it was hilarious. But he said it was such vehemency. Oh, I love oh, when you...
2: people take like a random thing like you're such a banana. What yeah exactly
4: <laughs> It was so good Like, we're, I was standing at the bus stop um, we, we literally got a bus stop Across from the house um, And there's a bin there So when the dogs have done their biz, um I'm putting everything in the bin But I was waiting on one of them going And I could hear them chatting away And all of a sudden one just turns to the other And goes Oh shut up you Kippers <laughs> I was like wow <laughs> but it was so like so he's so angry oh shut up you <laughs> <chipper>. <laughs> oh my god so good
2: um, what sound or noise do you love I mean children laughing feels like a very basic one but it is something that I do genuinely love yeah my youngest in particular has got such a Honest laugh,
3: hmm,
2: kind of like just genuine amusement. If not, yeah. there's, a, there's a piano bit in the Bruce Springsteen song Thunder Road that I just love. That little piano bit, next just... <laughs> <laughs> <Diding.
4: laughs> <laughs> nice one. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate?
2: Mopeds, you know, that
4: ee-
2: uh, noise. yeah, especially they all think they're Billy Big Bollocks on them,
4: yeah. But, but it's funny you mentioned Billy, because Billy Connolly's got a really good joke about that, about pulling away from a, a cafe when he was in, like, a, a he was trying to chum around with a biker gang, but he was only a learner. And all of them took off, like, when he came up the rear. <laughs> and the little twist and go. Yeah. It's the way he does it, though. You know, the full animated body, the hair flopping everywhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt?
2: I quite like to be a writer. Like, so, not so much. I sort of swing on it because there's negatives do every job. But like, yeah. somebody writes about a film. I'd love. But also, at the same yeah. time, I'm in a position where I could write about film just for fun, but I just cannot find the words anymore. I much yeah. prefer talking about it. But, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Barry Norman when I grew up, kind of thing. But then I was also like, this films I don't really like, so I don't want to have to watch them to review them. Yeah. So that, or I would love, it's not really a job, but like, own some kind of hub for creative people. Oh, nice. Or some kind of design thing where you had, you know, people making films over here, people doing art or comic art or street art or whatever over here. Yeah. Music, just being surrounded by all that creativity.
4: Nice. Nice. Uh, what one would you not like to do?
2: Probably any of the emergency services. Oh, God, yeah. Tell it's me. Like, it's like my friend became a policewoman, and she's, you know, a good policewoman, and she really enjoys the job, but I just couldn't handle anything that involved kids or sexual assault. Yeah. Or anything like that. So like I can't even watch TV programs where there's sexual assault. It really stays me, and stuff involving kids. Mm-hmm. So to actually real life, you know, deal with a case where something like that's happened. Harsh. She was like, Well, you could be in the call center. It's like, but you don't get any closure on any of the calls that come in then as well. Yeah, like,
4: exactly. So it's like, exactly. could I
2: deal with hearing that over the phone? It's possibly even worse than seeing it. <laughs> yeah. Or
4: potentially it's hearing just... it. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as I was going to say, potentially hearing that you could you could actually just be hearing something going on and you can't get any information on yeah. where they are or what they're doing or anything. It's just uh, it's heartbreaking.
2: But, and yeah, like hats off to all those people police, nurses, doctors, paramedics, firefighters, all those people just not jobs I could do. I don't have yeah. the mental capacity for it.
3: Yeah.
4: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
2: Everyone's going to be all right. Come on in. Oh, that's Just good. Know that everybody that's left behind is going to be all right. You know, come on in. We've got movies.
4: <laughs> Big thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Oh, a, do you know what? That's a perfect note to end on, mate. Thank you for that.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me on your podcast. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Said, I've been you're listening wel- for a while. <laughs> well, you're welcome back
4: anytime, sir. Fantastic.
2: I'll bring the crisps next time.
4: <laughs> we'll get we'll get the munch on, definitely. It's, it's weird there's
2: not somebody in the corner just off mic rummaging through a carrier bag of stuff. <laughs> I'm
4: definitely um I'm definitely ne- next time we do this, I'm bringing along a big jog. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, perfect, mate. Thank you very much cool. for that. Cheers. Cheers. See See ya. See ya. The making
1: of a great compilation tape, like Breaking Up, is hard to do and takes ages longer than it might seem. You gotta kick it off with a killer to grab attention. Then you gotta take it up a notch. But you don't wanna blow your wad, so then you gotta cool it off a notch. There are a lot of rules. Anyway, I've started to make a tape in my head for Laura. Full of stuff she'd like... Full of stuff that would make her happy. For we'll the first time, I can sort of see how that's done. I believe when I fall in love with you, it will be forever. I believe when I fall
2: in love this time, it will be forever. That was high fidelity. I'm why not? I'd like to thank Tom for taking over hosting duties and talking with me about the film. Be sure to check out the show notes for the links to the That Comic Smell podcast. At the time of recording, High Fidelity is available in the UK on DVD from Disney. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and members of seeing the film, and we had a couple of replies. At Stay Spot on Instagram said, bloody adore this movie. And at My Square Eyed Life also on Instagram said, I have too many thoughts on High Fidelity, seen it countless times. It was a huge part of my teenage years watching over and over. As an adult, I realised that identifying with a 30-something man as a teenage girl should have told me everything about why Rob and his behaviour are not to be celebrated. The women in this film are incredible. I'm comfortable now with how Penny's almost rape at the hands of Chris Thompson is played for a joke, even if the joke is on Rob for being so oblivious. Thank you for sending in your comments for this episode. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation wherever you see this episode posted on our social media channels. We're going to be winding down the Twitter account probably but you can still follow us on Threads, Blue Sky, and Instagram, or why not join the Am Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will we kept up to date as to what episodes are coming up, and have the chance to contribute to them, but we also put out our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media, or check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give this series a follow, subscribe over on Acast, or wherever you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, be grateful of a rating or review if you have a or two to spare, Or if you don't, that's fine. We're just grateful you spend the time listening to us. Thank you. If you missed any and why not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com, where you can also find an episode page that's got a load of bonus features, including videos, trailers, reviews, that sort of thing. In the meantime, we're back on Tuesday the 28th of August, where I'll be joined by Sean Longmore we discuss another of my all-time top five favourite films, the 1999 Pierce Brosnan-Renny Russo remake of The Thomas Crane Affair. But until then, this has been a Nerds of Haunted Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening, and remember, what fucking Ian guy. Bye for now. <laughs>